All right, welcome back to the cutting room floor, episode three. We had something else planned for today, but at the last minute it clicked. It is May the 4th be with you. So we got to discuss Star Wars and all its glory and what led up to this and what it has done for cinema because we all know and love this and we know it's influenced a lot. So how you want to kick this off? Well, I was thinking when when we decided to do Star Wars, which was very uh recently let's say before midnight yes. today <laughs> i the first things that popped into my head were some of the influences because we were going to do j- just to prep everybody uh, i'm jamie i am dom and we were going to do a comparison of two films yojimbo by kira kurosawa and fistful of dollars which we will do later but thinking about Star Wars, I, I did think about some of the uh, editing techniques of Akira Kurosawa in Yojimbo. Like, I want to call it like a swipe. Mm-hmm. Like, he, yeah, he loves that. yeah, and and that that's the one thing I did notice in Yojimbo. I'm like, I remember that from like every episode of Star Wars, mm-hmm. no matter what, and no matter which one, which trilogy, because there's obviously three trilogies. No matter which one, they still use the same techniques. I assume for consistency. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I. I'd kind of prefer to talk about the first three, of course, and maybe touch on the prequels because they're yeah we got we got to definitely touch yeah, on the prequels because because they're definitely more canon and obviously the prequels are based on his original treatment for Star Wars to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I those and some of the earlier influences that obviously George Lucas would have grown up with and sort of amalgamated into what became the Juggernaut that was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That, that's what popped into my head. So I, I was doing some research and some reading. So I, I think I'm better prepared than I normally would be. All right. Well, why don't you tell us what you've learned? Okay. Well, obviously, any nerd worth his salt knows that Star Wars came out in May of 77. Mm-hmm. So anything before that, I would say, is fair game. But I wanted to to focus on just like three let's say pre-Superman heroes that really influenced the sci-fi genre and I believe Star Wars specifically. Because Superman, as we know, changed the game for for everything as far as... I'll say space because he came from Krypton. He did, yeah. Yeah, as, as far as like space and, uh, and Earthbound heroes go. So... So when when we're talking about Star Wars, obviously it's in a galaxy far, far away. Long time ago. Long time ago. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So I I looked back and I can't remember the name of this one character, but I know John Carter. Mm -hmm. As as you recall, the film came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. It was the first and only so far live action Pixar film. Mm -hmm. Uh, The original John Carter story started being published... In the early 20th century, I may save that question for later. Okay. So, <laughs> so, but, but, but the point is, you know, it's they started. It, John Carter essentially started this whole idea of, I want to say, humans in space. Like I know War of the Worlds, the book was published in the late 1890s, but that was aliens coming here. Yeah. And and all that, and there was another story similar to 
John Carter, and I forget, but it wasn't as popular. So that's probably why I forget what it was. But they were always about these like Confederate soldiers because they were on the losing side. I mean, yeah. so, so I guess that they needed a win somehow. <laughs> but but they somehow found themselves on a on another planet in space, uh, still fighting. So so like John Carter. If, did you see the movie John Carter? I saw it when it first came out. Yes, but um, because I liked uh, what's his name Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch. I liked him he's a decent actor. Yeah, he's very good actually. Yeah. Um, so I did see it around then because I was like I was watching Friday Night Lights and stuff. Oh. So yeah, I was on a kick with him, and he was in a movie I like called Savages too with oh. uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, yeah, Oliver Stone directed it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, pretty yes, good. pretty good. Um, and. And uh, Mrs. Ryan Reynolds was in. Yeah, Blake Lively. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, she, was, she was in there looking looking right. So Yeah. Yeah, so I did see it then, but I really don't remember it. I should watch it again soon. I remember thinking it was okay, but I only remember a couple little parts. Well, I guess the main thing to, to remember about John Carter, not even the film, but but you, you might remember some of this from being like visuals in the film. Before that film ever came out, it's been said, and I remember reading somewhere that like the the best live action adaptation of John Carter before that was the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Mm, well, so yeah. so if you think about the way Leia was dressed as like Jabba's slave, and that's like Dejah Thoris from John Carter, and at least the books, maybe not the film, but the books, and like the way that the that Tatooine is like a desert planet is sort of how how Mars is. And, you know, all the different aliens fighting and things like that. So, like, I guess in that equation, Luke would have been the John Carter and she would have been the Deja Thoris and he's trying to save her. Because mm -hmm. the first uh, John Carter is the Princess of Mars, so he's trying to save the Princess of Mars. Okay. And he he finds himself staring at Mars in, in the book. I, I read the book a long time ago. And he, it's sort of like astral projection in the book. He finds himself on Mars suddenly. Whereas in the film, I believe he's transported there. Which makes more sense yeah, in the film adaptation. Yeah, it does. But, you know, for like the early 1900s, I guess anything was plausible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I can think myself somewhere. Great. I'm there now. <laughs> I'm there. So, so that's how he got there. And he, he finds that he can basically leap tall buildings in a single bound. Wow. He's... Uh, more powerful than a locomotive, <laughs> it, it, you know. Basically, like all the early Superman things, yeah, like all the Superman tropes. Yeah, yeah. Before Superman could fly, basically, and and without like heat vision, but yeah. he had like you know super strength, and he could jump, and he could do these things. So he helped save uh, the civilization on Mars, and that's and and basically the books were published to, throughout uh, the early twenties to the thirties, I believe, and. In the early 1930s, there was interest in a comic strip version. So Edgar Rice Burroughs, who also created Tarzan, another lasting character, he couldn't come to an agreement with uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, the owner of King Feature Syndicate. Or, or William Randolph Hearst just refused to sign. It depends on which version you read. So a few days later, or maybe a few weeks later, uh, Flash Gordon premieres in comic strips. Uh -huh. And Flash Gordon has been widely regarded, at least the early version of it, as a total ripoff of John Carter. Because of, you know, the, the guy going into space yeah. and saving 
the planet and all that stuff and and doing like John Carter things. Even though Flash Gordon, I think at the time, was like a, a college football star. Because they, <laughs> they, they called like all football stars Flash, I yeah. guess, if they were fast back then. Yeah. So it's, uh, I forget his, I forget Flash Gordon's actual real name. Isn't that terrible? Because it's not Flash. It's, uh, I don't remember. We might have to look it up. Let's yeah. see real quick. Yeah. Go on, I'll figure it out. Okay. So so Flash Gordon is considered then like a ripoff of John Carter, but at the time John Carter is becoming I, I'd say less important because it's it's basically the pop culture of the time. Like John Carter was popular during pulps, like pulp magazine publications mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But now comic strips were becoming more of like the pop culture thing to reach more more people in a shorter period of time because you could read it in the newspaper daily instead of waiting like you know month after month or whatever for the new chapter or the new installment so so you have flash gordon coming out and then before that you had buck rogers which was another thing but buck rogers was a little different he was a guy who fell asleep because of radioactive gas and was in suspended animation for 500 years and woke up in the future. So kind of like Fry in Futurama yeah. in, in a way. So I believe that's where they got that okay. that thing from, was from Buck Rogers. Even though Fry was cryogenically frozen, frozen, you know, in the 20s, it's the same type of idea. Yeah. So he woke up in the future and ends up like, you know, they, they always meet a girl. They have to. John Carter met Deja Thoris. Uh, Flash Gordon had uh, Dale Arden, who was with him from the beginning, and Dr. Zarkoff. Excuse me. And Buck Rogers had uh, Wilma Deering, who he met right away. Because it started out, Buck Rogers started out as two uh, like novellas that were published in another pulp magazine. And then it became a comic strip in the late 20s. So, so Buck Rogers and John Carter, I believe, influenced Flash Gordon. I should have mentioned Buck Rogers first. I do apologize. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. So, so, so then you have Flash Gordon as kind of like an amalgam of both of them, and then this uh, this penchant, I guess, to adapt popular things. So you had like Dick Tracy comics, uh, movie serials, because Dick Tracy was a popular comic at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and other things had, had been adapted, like Zorro, Lone Ranger, and all that. So a few years later, they adapt Flash Gordon starring Buster Crab, which is the first sci-fi serial. There have been obviously other sci-fi films like Metropolis, which yeah. had a heavy influence on, like, let's say C three PO's design. Absolutely. And and so Flash Gordon then, because of the way that movie serials were produced uh, cheaply. And fast, I think a lot of those uh, cuts, like the swipe and, mm-hmm. and and all those things that you see in Star Wars films, and including the chapters, because movie serials, uh, S-E-R-I-A-L-S, were chapters each week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you have like episode four, A New Hope, you know, would be chapter four of like a, a serial. That, mm-hmm. that was, I believe, George Lucas's original plan was to have it each film be like a chapter of a serial. Yeah. So, so you, you have that influence with it. And then I, I, I don't know. I think Buster Crab, he was Flash Gordon in, in the first Flash Gordon serial mm-hmm. and, and the three that followed. And he also played Buck Rogers. 
So he was he was also Tarzan at one point. Well, they just wanted. Yeah, to, he was just he, the guy there. Yeah, he was an Olympic athlete. He was a swimmer. Wow. Yeah, like in the twenties, and I guess the uh, maybe the early thirties, and then you know he had the physique for Tarzan. I believe he was Tarzan first, and then he just had that that look and the physique to be those heroes. And so uh, I I I could talk a, a little more about the things uh, a little later, but that's sort of. I think the foundation is like the movie serials, especially Flash Gordon and the popularity of it and Buster Crab just being like the, uh, the swashbuckling hero. Mm-hmm. And also in, in Buck Rogers, because I was reading the, the original story, because there's two stories, like I said, before the comic strip came out. And he woke up in Pen- – he's in Pennsylvania because that's okay. where he fell asleep. And, you know, the world is overrun with Mongolians – Except for in America, like, like Americans are still like fighting, right? I, I didn't read the whole story, believe it or not. But there's a group of people that have taken over, I guess, like America, and they're called the Hans. H-A-N. Mm. Yeah. I'm, oh, and, and, you know, they can, they, I guess they have the ability to, uh, I want to say fly. So I, I guess they have, you know, airships and things. So. Mm. A Han that knows how to fly. I don't know where that would have come from, <laughs> or what that would have influenced. I no clue. So, so, so Han Solo might honestly be like the Star Wars version of like Buck Rogers, even though obviously he didn't fall asleep for five hundred years. But I believe you know the way that he ends up helping, you know, could be the same type of concept. Yeah, but Han Solo tried to avoid being a hero at all cost. <laughs> that that is true. He was not about it, but he did end up becoming a hero and actually becoming pretty important to the revolution, essentially. So, so Dom, I know you're a big Star Wars fan. Tell me, how do you feel about Star Wars? Okay, so Star Wars for me. So when I first I first saw it when I was you know super young. And I thought A New Hope, I thought the first 30 minutes was one of the most boring things I ever saw. (laughs) But when you're, you know, eight, nine, you're like, okay, whatever. Because you got to think, when I saw it, A Phantom Menace was coming out. So I saw Phantom Menace in theaters, and then I wanted to see the original. So So I actually saw the episode one first. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So then... I watched the original trilogy, had the little three-piece tape uh, box yes. set. Yeah, so, yes. um, but I did think A New Hope was boring at first, and I thought it was okay. Now, I liked Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now, as I got older and revisited them, the original trilogy, because I was all about the prequels. Okay. <laughs> but I grew up with them. That yes, was yes. my era. So yeah. So for me, I do think the original trilogy is much better. But I grew up with the prequels. I saw them in theaters. So, you know, they, they hit a little different for me. But when I watched the OT again, when I got older, I don't know. Something stirred in the brain and went crazy because... I just looked at them in an entirely different light. And then when I watched The Empire Strikes Back and kind of put in a perspective of what George Lucas did for that time was just kind of unreal. He took a kid's story, a family-friendly story, and flipped it on its head in the best way you could possibly do. And I think he really set the blueprint up of 
how to make a great sequel, probably right outside of Richard Donner, really, oh, yeah. with um, uh, the Donner cut at Superman 2. So George Lucas made one of the best sequels of all time and kind of set that standard, even though he didn't direct it. He ghost directed it, you know. Yeah, this man yeah. Was there, and it was his story, and he yeah, has has a lot of input because yeah, yeah, exactly. He was come on, this man was right there, you know. So, but something about the Empire Strikes Back in particular, just I don't know. It it hit on so many different levels, and it's really kind of hard to explain why. But the story itself is just. I think it's one of the coolest and I love Luke's progression throughout that film and watching him go to Dagobah. First of all, the the world that was created when you start and you see Hoth, this Mm. icy world, you're like, what, what is going on? It's the antithesis of Tatooine. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's like we were hot as hell. Now we're cold as, (laughs) you know, and you got Luke riding the wampas and he's, all snow geared out and you're like yo what is what's going on and then in the first five minutes this man almost gets killed and i'm like bro is this dude it really about to get eaten i'm like of course not but i'm like yo he could get messed up real quick then this man does almost die han solo has to cut one of them open put this man inside of it to keep him warm yeah i was like what the <laughs> what am i seeing <laughs> But I was just, you know, I was glued. And I'm like, man, this is getting wild. And then you just throw on the little layer of, you know, the romance with the little love triangle that's Mm. going on between Luke, Leia, and Han. Which at the time, you know, seems okay because you don't know what's to come in Return of the Jedi. Well, I think even now in hindsight, you could watch it and see that Leia was using Luke to make Han jealous. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Especially... You know, after Luke gets injured, Han saves him, and she kisses him on yeah. the bed. And you know, Han knows though. He knows. Yeah. He's like, bro, come on, you know that's all me. <laughs> so, like, but Luke, really, you know, Luke did like her. You know, because yeah. I mean, look at him in A New Hope. He was simping hard. He was like, he saw her in a hologram and was like, oh my lord, I gotta save this girl. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know this chick. Shit, she can die for all I care. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. Yeah, know, but he he was he was sprung off the rip. So. <laughs> I mean, he was. He's like, oh, he saw that. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, and he was just—he was done after that. Yeah, call me Obi Wan. Yeah, because yeah. I'm your only hope. <laughs> your only hope. <laughs> but that—that that layer with the love triangle and watching Han and Leia progress, going through running from the Empire with annoying C three and Chewie's progression, and every character is just flushed out so well. Everything is interesting. Everything ties up so well. And by the time you get to Cloud City and you meet Lando. Ah, Lando. Lando is literally the black Han Solo, just smooth as... He is, giving him cold 45 to drink. Yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He's chilling. He's a smooth operator. And, you know, of course, he tried to swing up on Leia, you know, (laughs) which is funny. But then when Vader gets there, man, it mm. gets so intense. And, oh, Vader and, and Boba Fett, the first time you yes, see Boba Fett. Yes, the first time you see Boba Fett. And, you know, he made such an impact with probably a total of 8 to 12 minutes of screen time. Yeah. And he instantly became a fan favorite. 
But look at the design of him. He was cool looking, jetpack, cool ship that like folded sideways oh, yeah, when it yeah. flew and it landed all cool. He was he was total badass. He came in fearless, started dumping on Luke as soon as he saw him. I'm like, oh man, run Luke. But man, by the time Vader and Luke get to Cloud City mm. and that interaction between them and when you see these two pull them saber, when you see that red saber come out of Vader's hands and that mist in that room where they uh, freeze Han Solo, yeah. that setting with the orange lit up stairs and the misty yeah. blue background. And the grating uh, that, that they're stepping on. Yeah, yeah it's it, just, yeah. man, it's nothing like it. It's just the vibe of it off the charts. And when you see that red saber come out, you're just like, here it comes. Yeah. And it's like, it's what you've been waiting for. Because by this point, you've only seen one lightsaber battle. Yeah, that's like, right. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan and, Vader. and Vader. And it's yeah. two seconds long. Yeah. And Obi-Wan's not really fighting him. No. He lets him essentially kill him. He, you know, he force turns into a force ghost, but that's that's not a real fight. But you see the fight, you know what's to come later, and you know like man we've been this is what we've been waiting for and to see these two fight because at this time you don't know luke is the son of vader and you're like yeah you gotta avenge uncle ben you know yeah you, know, yeah. you gotta avenge old ben. Uh, a little so, spider-man yeah like action <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you gotta you gotta come through you you essentially killed my my, my uncle my like adopted granddad whatever yeah. you want to call him and when these two fight and you and you know luke isn't ready you know he isn't ready. And Vader toys with him. And just this man's, the way he comes across like an evil, sick, twisted badass that's just so cool and unique and one of the most interesting villains. I don't know. I've never rooted for a villain so hard. Like, I want, I was like, man, it'd be sick if Luke went to the dark side. Like, how sick could that be? Because he would be insane. And by the time they get out to the platform and Vader cuts this kid's arm off. Yeah. And that's something you don't expect to see in a sequel to A New Hope. A New Hope was very tailored to children. It was, now, yeah. we do see an arm get cut off there. You know, Obi-Wan cuts off one of the alien's arms in the canteen. Yes, yes. There is blood, which I think would have to make that an R-rated film, right? I, probably at the time, but it was alien it blood. It was alien blood. So, so maybe that's why. Red. Okay. <laughs> but but yeah. that's the, you see it yeah. there, but when, when you see that, it's like, all right, well, you know, whatever. Who the hell is this guy? But when you see Luke get his hand cut off, you're like, Dude, you just cut the main dude's hand off. Like, yeah. What's and he's right-handed, he's too. Right -handed. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yo, and Luke's sitting there, and the wind's blowing, and the dude's face looks so... I'm like, oh, man, Mark Hamill, you are not ready, man. And <laughs> Vader tells him, like, bro, I'm your father, son. And I'm like, even... And even before you see the films, it's so popular in pop culture, you cannot see Star Wars and you know Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad. Yeah, yeah. But when you still hear him say it for the first time, it's like, yeah. even though you know. It's, it's, just it's something in the way that James Earl Jones says it, though. Yes, bro. He was the yeah. perfect voice actor for yeah. him. And David Prowse, great physical His actor. Presence. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he, he was perfect. Tall guy. Vader's scary looking, man. And then, oh, he's all Robetronic and sh you don't know what he looks like under there. It's like. I just realized, though, 
as you were saying it, and I'm thinking about that scene because he does he cut Luke's hand off before he tells him he's his dad? I yes. can't. Okay. So knowing what we know about Revenge of the Sith and what happened to Vader, do you think he's doing he did that in order to in some way force Luke to become more like Vader? Yes. Yes. And that so when I saw Revenge of the Sith and watch Empire Strikes Back again and put him in a context, I thought that exact same thing. I'm like, well, Vader knows, bro, this ain't nothing. I ain't got no limbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I park in a handicap zone all yeah, the time. all the time, bro. Like, <laughs> like, dude, we're gonna get you a handicap placard. Yeah. You're gonna be good. Maybe it should have his face on the handicap <laughs> stuff. Yeah. That'd be great instead of the little wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just show just Vader. The little white outline of Vader's <laughs> helmet. That would be perfect. Because people would know. They would know. They'd be like, oh, yep. I ain't got no limbs. That's where I park. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. So Vader, he knew. He's like, bro, you're going to be all good, man. It's just one limb. I ain't got no legs or arms. So, yeah. Yeah. Know? But yeah, it's something about that scene, that entire third act is. One of the best third acts in cinema. And oh, and not to mention when Han's about to get frozen and Harrison Ford off the head delivers the impromptu, I know, in uh, response to Leia telling him she loves him. The best. The best. Something about when I first like when I saw it when I was older, because you know, when you're a kid, you don't know have a concept of love like that. Yeah. But after you've experienced some things in love and life, I was like, Hmm, I just made a face and like a lot of thoughts ran through my head. I was like, one of those thoughts had to have been Han Solo is the coolest guy ever. No, absolutely. I was like, bro, that's some gangster shit. That is, yeah, I know. You may never see this chick again. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm like, bro, that's that's dope. And because you know, I'm pretty sure the original line was "I love you too," and and Harrison Ford was like. That's boring as hell. But Han Solo wouldn't say that. And yeah. I think he's right. Like, although, yes. He, he might could, say it to Chewie, though. He would say it to Because there's a special connection. And not 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 anything, like, creepy or weird. Yeah, no, just, you know. No, it's like a almost like a pet. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, like, or even mean, best friend. Best friend, because, yeah, like, yeah. Chewie is not a pet. The no. dude's smarter than him. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. And he's, he's going to outlive him. Yeah. Well, he does outlive him. But... Even still, I think Chewie's like 300 years old or 250 or something. Chewie's old. And I think Chewie in, I don't know if it's canon, but I remember reading before the original idea was something like Han grew up on the Wookiee planet. Wookie planet, yeah. And, and I mm-hmm. think Chewie helped raise him. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the original ideas. And I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, that if they they could have made a cool little side comic or something, fan fiction off that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Chewie is... He's awesome too. And like, and just like you said, you know, I do believe that he Han does love Leia. I think he grew to love Leia. I don't know if he loved her in the moment that he says it, but or that he told her I know. I yeah. don't know if he feels it there yet. I know he does care about her, but I do think at that point, Chewie was probably the only being that he loved. Yeah. Because he's the only person he could trust. He's a smuggler. He's a gambler, card player. Yeah. You know, he lives like a Western cowboy. Because keep it real, Star Wars is a Western. Yeah, yeah, Western you know? space. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. So yeah. he lives like a cowboy. I mean, 
bro, when you first meet him, when he shoots Greedo, that's oh, Super yeah. Saloon esque. That know? is, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, the, it's a cantina. So yeah, it is. Cantina. It's a canteen. It's the saloon. <laughs> yeah, it is. You yeah. know, there's gangster dudes in there that look like aliens, but they're essentially outlaw cowboys. Yeah, Han got the got the blaster on his hip, like pulling the six shooter out. Yeah, who can shoot faster? Greedo couldn't. So that was yeah. that. And so yeah, I, I think I think Chewie and Han's arc is really nice, and you see that progression build in Empire Strikes Back, especially right at the beginning when Luke and him don't make it back before they close the doors. And when you hear that door close, Chewie loses his mind. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, this is this is his boy. They've been riding together forever. So. Yeah, but yeah, but the Empire Strikes Back in particular really was the one that pulled my star wars love and and made it for me more than just some franchise but return of the jedi is also great yeah that's the last 30 minutes of that movie when you get to see palpatine the flesh yes and the back and forth between him and Luke and Vader standing there like a straight G and just the conversation Luke and Vader have on the elevator is just amazing. Father and son talk. So do you think, uh, like going from empire to return? So, and, and going off of the, uh, now, cause at the end of empire, you see Luke getting the robot hand. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they're just kind of standing there, staring out into space as it like mm-hmm. fades the credits. And you're just like, "What it's one the, of the bleakest ending?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like uh, the the most modern way to think about it is like the end of uh, Infinity, Infinity War. War. Yeah, yep. I was like, yes. "Gotta be in the yeah, Infinity how, War type of ending." How like depressed you were. Yep, you're you're like, "Wait, like, what?" Everyone's losing and they're beat down. What's going to happen to yeah, the Rebel Alliance? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So so then you see Luke. You know that they, they set up. In return, uh, uh, oh my God, C-3PO and R2-D2 like go to Jabba's palace mm-hmm. and uh, that bounty hunter takes uh, Chewie there mm-hmm. because of the bounty on him and all that stuff. And then Luke shows up yep. and Luke is wearing black. Yes. Now, I realize that Chuck Norris was in a film called Good Guys Wear Black. Don't get me wrong. Never seen it. Is uh, it good? Uh, it's you know, like Chuck Norris movie. Yeah, late seventies Chuck Norris. So <laughs> okay. so for what it was, yes. Okay. And my grandmother was obsessed with Chuck Norris, so I've seen way too many Chuck were, Norris films. Man. <laughs> yeah. It must have been his mustache. It's it was something. You it know, had it was to the red been. hair, bro. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, and he and he had a beard at one <laughs> yeah, point then too. Yeah. I mean he was good at karate, bro. Yeah, he, he was. He, he was moved. Like even Bruce gave him his props. Yeah. So so because he's wearing black, Luke, in the beginning of return. Would that show, and I know his lightsaber at that point then is green, mm-hmm. but would him wearing black show the, um, like he's kind of waffling, like yes. whether or not to go. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of like on the fence as far as light or dark, you know? Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what I took away from him wearing black. It's a great costume, though. Thing. It's an awesome costume. It's <laughs> yeah. very ninja-like. Yeah. Luke. Luke comes in in Return of the Jedi. He's not the Luke. He's not the Luke that was in Empire Strikes Back. And he's definitely not the Luke from A New Hope. This Luke is confident. This Luke is far more intelligent. He's experienced. 
He's dealt with trauma. He's had time to sit on things. He's had time to train, hone in with the force. And this boy is not to be denied at all. And the way he approaches Jabba is on some gangster stuff. He's like, bro, you're going to give me what I want or it's going to be a problem. Okay. Yeah. And that's how it goes. And he don't, ain't no joking, ain't no negotiating in between nothing. Give me what I want or I'm taking your ass out. And that's how, that's how his attitude. And I'm like, bro, he is definitely teetering the line of what to do because let's keep it real. Luke longed for his father yeah. the entire time. He was asking questions. When he met Ben, He's like, bro, wait, you knew my dad? You yeah. my pops? I want to be just like him. I want to be a Jedi like my dad. I want to hold this saber. I want to go out there and make stuff happen. His dad was the best pilot in the galaxy. He was one of the best, you know, machine builders. He built R2, you know. Oh, that, yeah. That's, that's something right. A lot of people forget. Yeah. Anakin is a genius. Like, one of the strongest... Pro- if he wouldn't have got delimbed, he'd be probably <laughs> the strongest force user in the galaxy. So, do you think that weakened his ability to use the force? I do completely. I do. Okay. I think it's just just because his heart, everything is pretty much ran on electricity. Yeah, so. he's kind of like RoboCop. Yeah, I'm like yeah, he's yeah. not like that's gonna hinder you, man. Yeah, it's gonna hinder you. I do believe that it cripples him, um, especially in his movements. Think about how fast he could be if he didn't have robotic legs. You know. Think yeah. About, think about how heavy he is but, now. But does he need to be fast? I think he gets to a point where he gets so strong with the force, his movement doesn't really matter because he's going to choke you out from five feet away. He don't, his saber fighting style is extremely lazy and loose, but that force strength keeps you back. So it's, it's insane. So, but yeah, Luke, Luke rides that line the whole film and in, in his head, he wants to do the right thing, but I know he wants the approval of his father. So, take with that what you will. But no, I, no, that's. I, I think you're right because that's an interesting way to look at it. Because I was, I was thinking then back to a New Hope where it's obviously a younger Luke, mm-hmm. and I'm not exactly sure continuity wise because I know literally wise like the amount of time between the films, but I'm not sure about continuity wise how much time is between a New Hope and Empire and Jedi. So, because when we meet Luke, he seems like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And then... I think he's supposed to be 20. 20, okay. And then by the time we get to return, he seems like he's definitely at least in his 30s. (laughs) If not older. Yeah. Yeah, because he is so much more mature Mm -hmm. and so much more, uh, I want to say reserved. Like, like he... He's more in control of his emotions. Yes, I was going to say he yes. knows when to pick and choose yes. when to react and how to react much yes. better. He's he's actually a lot like, uh, I'll say Yojimbo. Yeah. In yeah. a way, because of the way that he could see, uh, just just a little bit going into Yojimbo, it's a film about a bodyguard, mm-hmm. and he's a ronin, uh, samurai without a master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Luke would have been in return. Essentially. Because yeah. doesn't Yoda passes away. Yoda yeah. dies towards the end. But yeah, yeah but, but he's I mean, still at that time Luke was still pretty much rogue. Yeah. So So but uh Yojimbo uh my god uh Mifun, mm-hmm. oh, he, he's amazing. He can go into a situation and I just have this one movie as reference, see everyone else being crazy mm-hmm. and calmly know how to, how to pick and choose yeah. where to go and when to do and it. And when to do it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see a Jedi influence in 
in those uh, things. So that's a great transition right there. I'm glad you brought that up because we can influence, we can talk about the Jedi's a little bit and the influence. So Lucas did say Kurosawa's films were heavy influence on the Jedi. So Obi-Wan's character essentially is um, Toshiro Mifune's character in Hidden Fortress. But the the actions and the, the way of life of the Jedi's and their moral code he bought a lot of that from the Seven Samurai. Mm. And Toshiro's character in that film has probably the best character arc of all the samurais because he kind of goes, he changes the most. He starts out extremely just obnoxious over the top, but he is hilarious. And you're like, what's this guy's deal? And by the end of the film, because you know it's a three and a half hour movie, by the end of the film, the man has you in tears and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe he progressed so much in this amount of time and grew so much. And, you know, he learned that from being around these other samurai and being led by the head samurai. I looked at as like a Yoda type, mm. kind of the all knowing, the very, we fight only when necessary. Defense is the first move, not offense, which the Sith's first move is the offense, which yeah. the bandits and seven samurai, they're coming to attack off the rip where mm. the samurai are like, we're going to prepare for this and protect ourselves. We're not going to go out looking for trouble, but if and when it comes to us, we will be prepared. And the way they go about their business definitely, I believe, influenced the Jedi Council and their ways although i believe the jedi were extremely flawed in a lot of their ways of thinking and i love that lucas doesn't shamelessly hide that he puts it out there and he wants you to see that because it does make sense when you get into the story of darth vader yes so seven samurai big influence on the jedis and hidden fortress was a big influence on the characters where like I said, so Shiro Mifune's character is like Obi-Wan. The two idiots that travel with him and he bosses around, they were essentially C3 and R2, mm. which he does take the technique of telling that story through their eyes, just like he tells A New Hope, essentially through the eyes of the robots. Oh, the yeah, because that's how it starts. Yeah, You're right. It starts. They're on the ship. They see everything. R2 has all the info. Everything runs through them droids. Without them droids, they're nothing. Yeah. And they're looking for... You know, the Empire's looking for the damn yeah. droids. The These are show. not the droids you're These looking for. These are not for. the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Move along now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah, that's, so he does that same thing and took that technique from Kurosawa, which I believe was a smart technique because it shows you the film in an unbiased viewpoint. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Princess Leia character was taken like the princess from Hidden Fortress, who is awesome. I love the princess in Hidden Fortress. First of all, Super adorable, super cute chick, fun, gripping emotional character, badass. She's hard, just like Leia is. You can, if you see the movie, you will understand exactly where he got Leia from. She's a princess. She's essentially on the run. People are looking for, want to kill her. The emperor dude kind of looks like a Ming type character. Oh, from you know? Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He's the dude, essentially the Darth Vader character, trying to catch the princess, put a bounty out on yeah. her. It's when you watch the Hidden Fortress, you're like, "Holy hell, that's a new hope!" You know. So here's uh, an an impromptu 
uh, streaming recommendation. All these, awesome. all these Kurosawa films are on HBO Max, mm-hmm. so they are readily available mm-hmm. to see, commercial free. Yeah, I think I think we can just come to a consensus streaming recommendation: Hidden Fortress <laughs> and Yojimbo. Yeah, Yojimbo. Yojimbo is awesome, and we'll, we're not. We'll save this for our episode on it. But yeah. if you've seen Sergio Leone's Fistful of Dollars. Go watch Yojimbo, then tell me how you feel about that movie afterwards. And then in the coming weeks, we'll tell you how we feel about it. Yes, yes, <laughs> After, we will. So, I, so I'm wondering now, like, if, uh, so if, if Lucas took, like, what Kurosawa was doing on, uh, I want to say on a human level, because obviously Star Wars is in space. Mm-hmm. So, there's sort of, in a way, there can be a disconnect. So, do you think he took these, these human emotions and these human actions and these human things from these Kurosawa films in order to humanize characters we wouldn't normally be able to relate to and to make the story that much deeper. Well, you know, I've never even thought about that, but absolutely. Because one thing about Kurosawa films, they grab you emotionally because they're really close and intimate. The way he shoots he doesn't make his movies feel far more grand and large scale than they actually are. And that's just a testament to his filmmaking skills. But within his films, they're intimate stories that very strong character development. And by the, when things happen, to these characters, you care. I have cried through at least four Kurosawa films, man. Like, really? it's, yeah, man. Seven wow. Samurai put me in tears. Oh, Ikiru put me in tears. What's the one where I think the woman's child is kidnapped? Is there some movie like that? Oh my God, the high and the low. Yeah, I think so I've seen that good. years that, ago. Yeah, that movie had me in tears. That's yeah. One. I think that's also on HBO Max. It Just, is. It is. I, yeah, I got that thing on Criterion Blu-ray. Man, yeah. I love. It's one of my favorite films. Toshiro's performance in incredible. That movie. The way this man can just flip switch with emotions and emote on cue, it's just when they're on the train and he's he's about to give up the ransom money. Oh, I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. There's a scene where he's on a train and something's happening and he sees something and it just flip. It's something as a real human. If you were in that situation, you would react exactly the way he did. And it's it's brilliant. I was like, oh, he's. <laughs> Oh, he's he's that he's that sick but, but yeah kurosawa man it's it's all over star wars it's it's insane yeah but you know what let's let's move into a little intermission okay and we got we got some something new for for the intermission um we got some trivia for you which we're gonna we're gonna quiz each other and we'll give you guys some time to think before we uh answer and we'll also hit you with a streaming recommendation all right we got so we got movie release here and then we got multiple choice trivia questions so we got three of each for each other so why don't you start out with uh, movie release and i'll start out with the trivia okay uh this is so uh when we were going back and forth about what to do today i I sent uh, I sent Dom a link for the uh, for the very first Flash Gordon serial. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in what year was Flash Gordon first adapted to film? Thirty six. 
Yes, it's apparently not a multiple choice question. (laughs) The year, the years, I didn't give you multiple choice. Uh, Okay, for the trivia. Oh, okay, that's good. Then that's good. You gotta know these. No, no, no. You're absolutely correct. (laughs) And and why would that be significant? Of why when Flash Gordon came out? Yeah, yeah. Because it was actually, believe it or not, only two years after the comic strip. Oh, it, wow. it was that popular. Wow! That it 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 was that quick of a turnaround to get more out there. That's crazy because you know back then it took forever to adapt stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Because like you're saying, what'd you say? John Carter came on the 1890s, or War of the Worlds came on the 1890s. Yeah, and that's the war, insane. And the film was the 50s. 50s. That's yeah. like it took forever. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Crazy. So yeah, that's nuts. All right, what else you got? I'll hit you with mine all at once. You okay, all yours. okay here, here's a question that's uh, – it's I, I, I need a little background first. So uh, after Flash Gordon uh, became popular in the comic strip and they didn't do the John Carter comic, mm-hmm. Edgar Rice Burroughs, his son, John Coleman Burroughs, was an artist. Mm-hmm. So he eventually adapted – at least a princess of Mars into a comic strip successfully for a few years on what infamous day in history did John Coleman Burroughs debut his comic strip adaptation of John Carter. And the answer is sort of in the question, what infamous day in history? D-Day? No, D-Day was not the day that would live in infamy. No, but there is a day. Shit. I should know this. You should because you're I a Michael really Bay fan. Should. Oh, oh, Fourth of July? No, no, no. no, no I'm tripping. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm a Michael Bay fan. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? What terrible historical film did Michael Bay direct? I call it Saving Private Titanic. Oh my God, Pearl Harbor. Uh, so what? So it was December seventh. Yes, nineteen forty-one. Okay. Yes, yes. My yeah. definitely got that. My brain is fried. It's guys. all right. It's all right. I, I used all my brain cells at the gym. <laughs> all right, what else you got? Okay, so you know Flash Gordon, uh, the film version, Buster Crab, came out in 1936, and then I think 37 and 38, they did sequels. Mm-hmm. And then he starred as Buck Rogers. So in what year did Buster Crab eventually star as Buck Rogers after being Flash Gordon? This is going to be a shot in the dark. I'm going to go with 1943. 1939. Oh, man. A lot sooner. Yeah. Quick turnaround. He was in high demand. He was. And and if you think about it, so from like 36 to, we'll say till 40, he starred in at least four incredibly influential movie serials that helped lay the groundwork for what Star Wars would become. Wow. Hey. And Buster Crab, man, George Lucas should, should send his family a, a Christmas gift every he should, year. He should, and <laughs> and I I have a couple more questions for for other things. I shouldn't. Well, you we'll go save them for the trivia. I will. And those are your date questions. So, oh, right. okay. Yes. All right. So I got I got three movie release years for you. Okay. Okay. We discussed this last night because I was watching it, but I actually had it on here before I decided to even watching it. Barbarella. Oh, was that 1968? Yes, it is. Look at him. Oh, great, great film. Great film with a great actress. Jane Fonda. 
if you hear this, hit me up. <laughs> All right. The first Ghostbusters. 1984. God. Too good. Oh, my God. You what a great film. You might this. You might sweep this. What a great film. Great film, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bill Murray. The, the only crazy part about that is, uh, besides my elbow cracking, the only crazy part about that is Peter Venkman, the best character, was originally written for John Belushi. Wow. But he died. He died. Yeah. So Bill Murray got it. Imagine. Dude, Belushi's career would have been crazy. Yes, exactly. His career would have been. But I don't know if I can imagine Peter Vinkman being him. You Me know, neither. which is weird because <laughs> Bill Murray weird. just owned it. He owns it. But John, think about think about John Belushi, John Candy, and Chris Farley. Yeah. Those three dudes would have been huge had they not died prematurely, man. Yeah. Man, three heavy dudes that were just great in everything they were in, yeah. man. Like even Blues Brothers, uh, excuse me, Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great film, but he made it. Yeah, him and Dan made it workable. You know, well, it's because so, they were on a mission from Gad. From Gad, <laughs> <laughs> we're on a mission from Gad. <laughs> uh, I was dying when I was watching that. I was look, like, Yo, Carrie Fisher's in that film. Yes, she is. Yes, listen, Carrie Fisher. She's in a good Woody Allen film called Hannah and Her Sisters, too. Mm. And you know what else she's in? A movie I freaking do not like that everyone else loves. When Harry Met Sally. Oh, And Carrie Fisher is probably the best character in that movie. You know, well, that's one of Rob Reiner's... uh, Well, not one of... I'm One of his most popular... He directed that. Yeah, he did direct he, that. Because that was his mom that said, I'll have what she's having. Uh, oh, yes. okay. So Bob Carl, Reiner is amazing. He okay. is amazing. That's He's, his worst film then. And which, if that's your worst <laughs> film, yeah, I mean, that's dude. That's so not yeah. bad. Yeah. So I'm like, I mean, you're doing great. Why didn't he Because this is Spinal Tap. Oh, my God. A Few Good Men and Stand By Me, all bona fide classics. The Princess Bride. Princess, he did do. Bro, yes. He's goaded. Misery. He's, he did do freaking misery. Yes. Okay, Rob Reiner may be the most <laughs> underrated director of all time. Yeah. Misery is so good. He pulled the sickest performance out of Kathy Bates. He did. That woman had me scared, bro. Annie Wilkes, Oh, Yeah, he, he's done so many great films. And there was one, it was an early John Cusack movie. I think he directed right after Spinal Tap. Because uh, Savage Steve Holland did, like, uh, Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. Mm-hmm. One Crazy Summer is great. Yeah, but I, I can't remember. But he did one of those in between, like, Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride. But then after that, it's he all gold. He just went on a run. Yeah, he yeah. just went on a run. Yeah. All right, you'll probably sweep this. I had to do a Wars movie for today. I had okay. a different movie, but I changed it. Revenge of the Sith. 2005. God, it's clean, sweet, yes. man. He did great. Yes. Oh. Wow. All right. What trivia questions you got for me? I think I... Actually, no. I'll lead these off. Okay. That's, right. that's good. All right. So, I got three for you. They're multiple choice. Okay. What famous actor has a funny cameo in Tropic Thunder? Now, let me give you the choices, okay. even if you know it, for the people listening. Okay. I've never seen Tropic Thunder. Oh my lord! Okay, so so you might have to repeat the question for me. I can't believe you I know. see Tropic Thunder. I know. It's so funny. It's probably the best directed Ben Stiller movie or Zoolander. I don't know. God, Ben Stiller. Reality Bites wasn't bad. 
Didn't he do reality? He did. Yeah, well, yeah. Be- but it ain't better than Zoolander. No, no, Thunder. Zoolander was pretty good. <laughs> All right. What famous actor has a funny cameo in Tropic Thunder? Okay. A. Daniel Craig. B. Tom Cruise. C. Brad Pitt. Or D. Liam Neeson. Tom Cruise. Tommy Cruise. Tommy Cruise. Wow. And he's hilarious. You need to watch that movie. Because I remember. There was, uh, I forget if it was on like an MTV Movie Awards, but I believe Ben Stiller did a sketch with Tom Cruise where he was like his stunt double or something. Yeah. It was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible because Ben Stiller, like on the Ben Stiller show when it was on, mm-hmm. he's very good at impressions. Yeah. He's incredible. So he's never been like a comedian comedian, mm-hmm. but he's a great like sketch player and an impressionist, and he does a great Tom Cruise. Wow, so, Benny's the man. I love Ben Stiller, bro. Meet the parents, bro. One of my favorites. He's so funny in that. All right, here's one. This I hope this one stumps you. All right, how many features has De Niro and Scorsese done together? Oh my god! Hold on, you got choices. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I'm starting to think. Oh, the wheels are turning. I know I'm at least turn. one. I, actually, I know of at least two. <laughs> you should know of at least two. Yeah. A, five, B, seven, C, nine, or D, 11. All right. Because uh, I'm assuming it probably started with Taxi Driver, unless there was another one before that. There is. Mean Streets? Mean Streets. Okay. So, so you have what? You have Mean Streets, you have Taxi Driver, you have... The King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, The Irishman just came out. That's new. Yeah, yeah that's newer. Great film. Um, what Casino mm-hmm. would be one of them. You're forgetting such an obvious one. I'm shocked you didn't throw up. Oh my god, that's terrible. Uh, like two kind of obvious ones. Oh, um, the one with. Uh, Joe Pesci, Pesci and Ray Liotta. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, I which like, I can't think of at the moment. That's insane. It's probably it's, it, yeah, yeah, the, the most movie. Yeah, the most famous one. Come on. As long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Oh, my God. Henry Hill. Henry, uh, you, 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 even, you know, I know the title character's I know, name. I can't think of... <laughs> I can't think of uh, Goodfellas. Thank you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. You, I, you know what? I might have to say 11 because there's so many there. Or is it nine? It is nine. Oh. It is nine. Wow. Nine features and one short film. Wow. Well, yeah. wait. Didn't Scorsese produce Joker? I, does but, he have a Scorsese? Does he have a producer credit? Let's see. I think he might. He should. I mean, you yeah, it's basically a Scorsese took two film. of his movies and combined them yeah. and added a great actor and got all kinds of money and Oscars and he got nothing back in yeah. the day. <laughs> it's like, ah. dude, dude didn't. Bro, Rocky won Best Picture over Taxi Driver. Let that sink in. Wow. It won over all the president's men. Let wow. that sink in. And that's that's Redford and Dustin <laughs> and Hoffman. Dusty, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let, let's see if he produced that. All the President's Men. Isn't that about James Buchanan's lovers? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Oh. Oh. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> did he produce the Joker? I, I hope he did. I, I hope he got some money for it. I, I thought I read somewhere that he did around the time it was coming out, because that's why... Todd Phillips had kind of changed his style. 
Nope. He really? was originally slated to be an executive producer yes. when Leonardo was in talks of the lead. Oh. When he wasn't going to play the lead. He went and did The Irishman. Oh, my God. Wow. Mm, yep. But I'm shocked. So nine it is. Yep. I'm shocked you didn't name Raging Bull. Oh, God. <laughs> that's the one. Raging Bull. That's a great so film. So good. <laughs> Oh my God, Kathy Moriarty, mm-hmm. Joe Pesci, Joe P, man, oh, E. Dill, they, they were. Mm. Robert was, whew, man, yeah, well deserved Oscar. My God, that was a great film. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Now I'm a little upset at myself because that is an obvious one. Yeah, that's that, if, I if only three. It would be Taxi Driver. Fella. Good Raging Bull and Raging Good Bull. Fellas. Yeah. yeah. Like, you didn't get you had you got some of the deep cuts like Mean Streets and King of Comedy. Yeah. No one's like, seen <laughs> King of Comedy. Like, uh, so I was like, oh. You have to be a Jerry Lewis fan yes. to care about the King of Comedy. And I love comedy. that he plays himself. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one. Okay. How many gotta keep it somewhat wars related. How many films has George Lucas directed? Okay. Let me give you your choices. Okay. A, six. D, eight, C, four, or D, seven. Okay, I'm going to just do a quick list mm-hmm. of the ones I know. THX, yep. which was his first one, mm-hmm. and that's where the THX company mm-hmm. the name comes from. I think there's some numbers after it, but it's... There are some numbers yeah, after but just, it. Yeah, because Robert Duvall. Yeah, let I me mean, just call it THX. Okay. Keep it simple. THX, American Graffiti, mm-hmm. New Hope, mm-hmm. Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. and Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Was five one of the answers? No, it was not. I was. What? How many fingers am I holding? Oh, up? six. <laughs> oh, You're holding up six. I'm like, is five one? I got. You said six. Six. Are those the only six he directed? Yep. Wow. So it was six. Yep. You wow. Got wow. Yeah. Isn't it nuts? The dude. I, I don't think he liked directing. Um. He says he he says it's a pain in the ass. He likes doing this behind the scenes. He likes making stuff, writing, yeah, sound. Well, he's really he's a great idea man, absolutely. Because look at the Indiana Jones movie. dude. I was like, he wrote a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Willow. Oh, like, that's yeah, right, like, Willow. Dude, yeah, like, he's he's been involved in a lot more projects than people realize because he helped write Land Before Time. Did he? Yeah. Wow. George is involved. Wow, Littlefoot. Like, he's a behind. Yes, he's a behind <laughs> the scenes man. And I'm like, dude, industrial light and sound, man, they, they, they changed the game. Yeah. Right? Like, I was gonna say behind the scenes he's done more. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, what he because I'm like, I wouldn't call him one of the best directors of all time, but definitely a, one of the best film aficionado filmmakers. Yeah. Like just what? a guy you would love to have in the room while you're if you're making a something sci-fi action weird, if he's in your, in the room, that's a good guy to have in the room. Without him, James Cameron would probably be nothing. He re- Dude, James yeah. Cameron, come on. But we yeah. can also say without Stanley Kubrick, yeah, that's true. would be nothing. Yeah. Because you could ask Lucas, Spielberg, any of them, James Cameron, they're like, bro, 2001 was a game. Even Scorsese was like, bro, I was heavily yeah. influenced by 2001. And, and by that, uh, going off of that, we could also say without Jerry Lewis – because I believe he taught a lot of these guys when they were going to UCLA because he taught a film class. Really? When, when they were younger. Yeah. I believe uh, a lot of them, like Scorsese, I think Lucas Coppola, Lucas Spielberg. Lucas Coppola, I believe. Spielberg, I believe they all were at USC at the same time. And I think Jerry Lewis was teaching film there. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's wild. Because a lot of them, I, I read that before. I was reading a lot about Jerry Lewis. I got, I got really into him for a while because – 
I realized how influential he was in uh, like film editing because yeah. he once he started directing, like when he would star with Dean Martin and a co-star with Dean Martin, and then do his own films, he really paid attention to what the directors did. So he's the guy who essentially created like VHS tapes, so you could wow. like watch back on set like what you just did. So and know how to dailies. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Wow. He didn't know like, that. like the technology came from him wanting to know more and be better at what he did. Wow. And then he would teach like he's really serious about his art, even if he doesn't seem like a serious actor. Yeah, well, I mean, he he's probably another guy like, eh, acting's whatever. I want to be a part of the creative process. Yes, yes. You know, like just like George is like directing's whatever, yeah. but I want to create the story and all the stuff that goes in it. I don't want to, you know, like it's funny if you listen to like Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, um, Mark Hamill, any of them dudes talk about him directing uh, A New Hope. They're like, bro, that dude just was like, <laughs> you could just tell he didn't like it at all. Yeah. Remember like, what in like Tunisia? Yeah. They were like all sand in your sand. ass crack. And, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> what? and he's like, bro, he's like Harrison and Mark were a pain in the ass. They were goofing off like little kids the whole time until Alec Guinness would show up. Then they get all serious. Yeah. Oh, man, the real actor here yeah you know, so, yes yeah, sir yeah. alec guinness yeah bro i'm like look if alec guinness is like all right dom you gotta do a scene with alec guinness i'm like okay slap myself in the face <laughs> like splash some water on me like okay take a couple deep breaths because that dude's just look at a bridge on a river quiet like yeah. my lord that performance he was a one and crazy thing is alec guinness he his family still getting paid off a of new hope because really? he required back in. Oh, wow. I think he got like three percent or something like that. Wow. So and he got a nice up front. So he made more money off Star Wars, a film he did not want to do at all than everything he did up until that point. Wow. So I'm like, bro, sometimes you gotta take one for the team. And also like you gotta think like action figures, like his likeness. Oh my god. And everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, dude, he's his family's still collecting Star Wars checks. Funny wow. thing is, um, so Spielberg still getting cuts of a new hope. So when George Lucas made A New Hope and it was done, he Brought all his homies to the crib. I was like, y'all, we going to watch my movie. They were like, all right, bet. They watched the movie and everyone hated it. Really? Except Steven. Really? Yep. And George was about to cry and he was not feeling good. And Steven pulled him aside and was like, bro, you got something on your hands here. And he's like, dude, I wish I was making your movie Close Encounters. And he's like, Bro, that movie's going to be whatever, but he's like, dude, I think this show is going to change the game. And he's like, yeah. He's like, so much so, bro, that look, how about we make a trade? Give me 2% of A New Hope. I'll give you 2% of um, Close Encounters for life. Sell me a small percentage. Give me a small percentage of the rights. So he said, fine. And Steven made the right move. Wow. Because A New Hope. Yeah. Bro. If you adjust the new hope for inflation, that movie's made a lot of money. So, oh, and with re-releases and everything yeah, too. Oh yeah, oh my god, and you know, oh, it's probably. I think in its theatrical run, I want to say it made what seven hundred million, and that's crazy in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Jaws was number one, and it made like a little over half a billion, I think. And then Star Wars took it over, 
and with like seven hundred million. And think back then, movie tickets were probably what they were cheap, like a dollar bucks. Yeah, yeah maybe, like, hey, dude, cheap. maybe, yeah. I'm so, like, yeah. Like, so, but then you know, it's before home video, mm-hmm. before all that stuff. So, if you wanted to see it, so I think films had a yeah, longer people life. People went and saw it seven, eight times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like bro, I met so a close family friend of ours. You know, he's he's an older guy. He was like, dude. He said, I took off work, went and saw it. Like. I don't know, like noon. He's like by myself. He said, I saw that. He said, bro, I was blown away. He said, I went back two more times that week, bro. He was like, so he's like, I went with some friends and I went by myself again. I'm like, that's crazy. So yeah, people went and saw it a hundred times. And that's, I guess that's kind of the draw of it though. Like you, at the time, I mean, now it doesn't seem as new, obviously, Mm -hmm. because it's, 46 years later yeah but at the time nothing like it bro it was familiar but it was new and different it was what well how he described it he was like dude he was like at the time there was nothing really out like that he's like it was it was so different he's like i felt like i was in space for two hours he was like you're just locked in and everybody in there was the same way just like you could just tell people were witnessing something they just didn't even know how to process at the time. Yeah. He's like, but we knew it was special. He's like, I was like, man, I, I can't wait. And then going to see the Empire Strikes Back, he was like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Like, I was, because I was thinking back, I was like, I couldn't imagine going to see A New Hope in 77, waiting three years, then going to see Empire. Like that would be the longest three, the years, longest of your three life. years of your life. I was like, that's insane. So, but you got questions for me. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. Hold on. They're sort of based on what I was talking about anyway. So before I go into these questions, it's interesting because he said there was nothing like that in 77. But the influence of it after that, suddenly you had like Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Which I think the original series was designed by Ralph McQuarrie, the same guy who designed Star Wars. Wow. Okay. And, well, I mean, everybody yeah. worked on it, I'm sure, was yeah. on it for hire. <laughs> and then uh, Buck Rogers was redone as a TV show. They did a TV movie first and then a TV show for at least two seasons with Gil Gerard. And uh, our man, Buster Crab, actually guest starred in an episode or two. Wow. He got a lot of yeah. work, man. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, it's just crazy. Okay, so, so I had, okay, so I was talking about John Carter. Mm-hmm. So, in what year was John Carter first published? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a couple of. Do I have some choices? Yeah, you do have some choices. Okay. okay. I have an idea in my head. Okay. 1901. Uh-huh. 1912, mm-hmm. 1917, mm-hmm. or 1920? 20. 1912. Damn. Yeah. I thought it was 20. 20 was like what I had in my head. Damn. So, so now, what year was John Carter first adapted to film? First adapted to film. To film. It is the first adaptation other than obviously... The comic strip, which we already went over, is 1941. And they did comic books after that is, and the is, novels. Is it the 2012 one? 
I don't have to give him any choices. Yes. It took a hundred years. That's crazy. To adapt John Carter to film, even though it helped usher in this whole era that led to Star Wars. Which is crazy because, like, Stephen King writes a book and people are, like, ready to buy the film rights before it even comes out. Yeah, as as soon as the ink drops. Yeah, they're like, all right, it's out. Okay, how much for the film rights? We didn't even read it yet. Yeah, I had an idea while I took a dump. They're like, okay, I'm going to option it right now. give you 10 million. That's good, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it took 100 years. And we may never get another one. No, which is sad because... For the time, it was a good series for like the uh, and how innovative it was in showing uh, aliens and different things that like in sort of uh, I want to say putting a a face on the unknown because we still don't know. Yeah. So think about Star Wars, like all those alien ideas had to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So so all those people that worked on it were influenced by. All these things over the years that help them be creative. I think the Flash Gordon, the aliens influence, like with the giant lizards and just yeah. random stuff around. Like this yeah. is so random, but kind of like Star Wars, just random creatures yeah. being around, big, small, like randomly pop up. You're like, oh, what the hell is that? Now, let me ask you this real quick. Yeah, you did read Dune the novel, right? A long, 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 time long time ago. But you've seen David Lynch's film. Yes. Which I haven't. That's like the, Uh, I think that's like one, I have to watch that in Twin Peaks. It's like the only Lynch stuff I haven't seen. Would you say that Dune had a star, had an influence on Star Wars? You know what? I would say yes, because think about most of Dune takes place on kind of a desert planet. Desert planet. planet. Yeah. I mean, and they mine spice. Yeah. Just like they do in Star Wars later. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, they did, didn't yeah, they? Was that yeah. like the Last Jedi? Mm-hmm. Is that the the red stuff yeah. right on the planet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Spice is big. Spice is yeah. a Star Wars thing too. Yeah, and and think about it, like you know, you have House Atreides and House yeah. Arconan, sort of like you know the good and the evil. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Paul is kind of like a Lukey type character. Yeah, and actually, Dune was that first published like in the sixties? Sixties, I believe. Yeah, I want to say sixty-four, but I might just be thinking of eighty-four I, because that's I when the Lynch like, film came out. I, I, I feel like because um, I feel like Dune. It's sixties. You're right. It is sixties. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's sixties. Because you know the sixties was uh, rife with uh, creativity, and I don't know if it was the drugs, definitely partly, or or uh, something else. Let me see. 60s definitely was littered with creativity across all mediums. Let's see. Dune by Frank Herbert. 65. 65 I said 64. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like George Lucas read Dune, watched Lawrence of Arabia, ah. and got a vision in his head for Tatooine. Yeah. Because I didn't read Dune, but I'm like, I've seen a lot of things adapt stuff from Dune. Yeah. Like, like for Lish's movie Phantasm, the hand in the box. Oh yes, yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. Dune. And then of course, watching the new Dune, which is incredible, by the way. I don't care what anyone says. I do, I do have to see it because part two is coming out. Yes, and bro, that trailer looks so good. 
I'm a big fan of Danae Velenawu's Dune. I love it. I think it was great. And I was, I thought it was going to be, I went into it thinking it was going to be terrible. And I was very, very wrong. But then I should have looked at who's directing and been like, it's going to at least be decent. Blade Runner 2049. One of the best sci-fi movies ever made. Yeah. Bro, Prisoners. Oh my God. Yeah. With Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Jake Gyllenhaal. Wow. Yo, he's a monster. Arrival, man. He's a monster. So yeah, he's sick. But I, I do think Lawrence of Arabia, because I know Spielberg said David Lean was his favorite director and um Lawrence is his favorite movie. And he was like, bro, it influenced me crazy. But if you look at the way the dunes are and everything, the way they shot Lawrence of Arabia, bro, you can't watch Tatooine and say he wasn't watching this movie, yeah. man. So yeah, what did you have another question for me? I I think I did, but I I got off track because I was then thinking of uh, the French comic strip of Valerian and Loreline, which I know influenced at least visually some aspects of Star Wars because there's characters and ships in there. Like there's a character who sort of vaguely looks like Darth Vader, mm. but the comic it's a French comic. It was around before Star Wars. Oh. And there's ships that kind of look like either the Millennium Falcon or something else. So you know that like the production designers at least were looking were at influenced. Yeah, because I'm like, because when, when you're you're pulling out all these influences, I'm like, dude, Lucas was watching and reading stuff, thinking and, about this, and and that's what you have to do, I think, as a creator, because you know they always say there's nothing new nothing out there, new. and there's there's a a line, I, I heard it in a, in, there's a trailer for a new film about a writer. And there's like some guy that comes to like watch his kid. I forget the name of the film. And it's an independent film that's coming out. Huh? I saw, saw it before Mafia Mama. So I blocked out most oh, of it. You were so, at, your, your favorite film yeah, in 2023? Yes, the, the best. Probably better than Morbius. It, it's in a lot of ways, yes. In a lot of ways, yes. <laughs> But but this writer he says that like um, something about like good writers steal you know yeah. like like they they just take from other writers and other influences but I think they end up making them they better make it their own yeah yeah, yeah they, they make they, it their own and they make it better they add to it it's I, not just ripping it off I'm gonna tell you right now all the best filmmakers and films we idolize. We can go and easily pull out their influences. George, one thing I liked about George Lucas, he was he never hid any of his. He was very open about yeah. all the things that influenced Star Wars, and like he even said, he's like, "Bro, my first script was even more close to Hidden Fortress, but I had to add Han and Chewie, and I had to switch some stuff. It was just so close." And I like how he just, you know shamelessly just admits that same with tarantino tarantino will tell you all day he's like bro yeah i was watching sergio leone so i stole this from him yeah i was watching this dude i stole that from him you know he he'll tell you all day christopher nolan everyone's like oh inception's a masterpiece bro it's a ripoff of paprika it's an anime <laughs> film from 2011 and really? it's absolutely oh it's amazing bro paprika is awesome Dude, it's the same concept. There's an entire scene he ripped. The hotel scene when the, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's running through the hallway fighting the dude. Bro, he totally, yo, 
took it right out of this cartoon. Really? Took it right out of it. Yeah. Wow. And he admitted it. He's like, yeah, man, Paprika was a big influence. Love that movie. And it's the same thing. It's a, it's dreams. These people are dreaming. And their dreams, They people are going in and doing stuff. Now, he did make it his own, making it a heist movie and then making it like a film production where each character played a role in creating this film which I thought that was a great spin and take on it, which made the film digestible for people who were confused. A lot of people like, oh, the movie's too confusing. I'm like, bro, if you just pay attention, it's not. <laughs> like, just watch. It's not like Tenet. Tenet is confusing, but Inception isn't. But yeah, all the, I think all the best filmmakers, writers, whatever, they steal. And, I, and they, they admit it. Like Ari yeah. Aster, he's like, yeah, man, I, I was taking stuff from this dude, that dude. Yeah, I was just pulling stuff all out of, just watching stuff, getting ideas, writing them down. So, yeah. But do you have any more questions for me? I do. Oh, I yeah, have. That's right. Uh, stuff. Okay. Now, another big thing, uh, before movie serials uh, were radio shows. Mm-hmm. So they did adapt uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon to radio. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I guess I should ask you first, when did, uh, what year did uh, Buck Rogers make his debut? And I'll give you a couple, because Buck Rogers. On radio? Uh, no, no, not yet. Not yet radio. Just in general, like, like the stories. The stories were the comic strip, because they came out around the same time. So, was it 1927, uh-huh. 1929, 1931, or 1933? Oh, I had a year in my head, and it ain't one of them. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> 29. Uh, it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It was uh, the March 1929 issue of Amazing Stories, which was a pulp magazine. Uh, that's when he made his debut. And around the same time, they started the comic strip in January of 29. Wow. Because they always have things published. I think they put the the month on it like two months ahead. So I think they came out yeah, concurrently. Yeah. That's, hmm. So knowing that that was 1929, in what year was Buck Rogers adapted to radio? 1930, 1931, 1932, or 1933? Oh, man. Make it super hard. 32. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So That's pretty quick adaptation. Yeah. That's a good turnaround. Yeah, three-year gap because yeah. they, I don't think they would have had – because think about, like, 32 would have been even before they did King Kong. Mm-hmm. So I don't think yeah. films would have been ready for that type they of thing. They weren't ready yet. for that. Because, yeah, because, like, you had that, like, string of those, like, classic monsters that all came out, like, in the same time. Like, King Kong, Dracula, Frankenstein. Like, all yeah. those dudes dropped, like, pretty close. Yeah, together. the mummy. Yeah, the mummy. Yeah, yeah. all all of those were pretty close. Like, I think from what, 30 to, like, 35. Yeah, 30 to 35. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really close. So, yeah, I mean... I think the world was getting very adapted to these very strange, different characters. So, yeah, that fits with the time period for sure. And now there was also a Flash Gordon radio show. Oh, Lord. Now, if you recall. Real uh, quick, what did they, they, did they just read the, what did they just talk about it or what? Have you ever listened to like old radio shows? Mm-mm. Okay, so radio shows were kind of incredible because, you know, before. Okay, before uh, you uh, before you had TV, you know, widespread. Even though the first television broadcast was, I think, in 1929, and it was Felix the Cat on a turntable, just rotating nice. like like a stuffed Felix. 
so but you know tv didn't come into prevalence till like the mid to late 40s and then especially in the 50s mm-hmm. so before that you just had radio which came out earlier in the 20s so for radio shows they would just sometimes have a narrator setting up a scene and then people just talking back and forth and sound effects for whatever could mm. be going on. So you had like the Shadow, the Green Hornet, mm. Superman oh, had a radio like show. Superman probably had one. Yeah. Did Batman have one too? Actually, Batman didn't, but he guest starred in a few episodes of the Superman, Superman? show. Nice. Yeah. And they were really popular until the 50s, until TV On really TV, took off. Yeah. Then- so, so that's sort of how they set it up. They set it up so... It's almost at the stage and then kind of run dialogue. Yeah. And okay. then, and, and you can imagine in your head then what's going on just by hearing, hearing. Yeah, it. I mean, so, it's so, just like a book on tape. <clears throat> yeah. Book on tape, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. All right. So, so Flash Gordon, we, we know the comic strip came out in 34, January 34. The first, the first serial was 36. First serial was 36. So, in what year? Was it adapted to radio? Was it 34, 35, 36, or 37? I'm going to say 34. It was actually 35. 35. That would have... That but like, mm. it was a quicker turnaround than Buck Rogers. Yeah, I'm like, that's It was sad. about a year. Yeah, because I was thinking... So I went with 34 thinking, let me give them two years to turn it around because yeah. they said one is all we need, so Flash Gordon must have been a good one. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... I... I think it shows something about popular culture of the time and how comic strips used to be a big deal. That yeah. you, that used to be the like an artist's goal was to be a comic, comic strip, artist. strip artist. Wow. Because even the guys who created Superman wanted it to be a comic strip first and they got rejected by everybody. Wow. And then after it became a popular comic book, all the syndicates were like, hey, let's make a comic strip out of this. <laughs> and you're like, mm, I'm yeah. roll with the books now. They, they did though. They that, made a strip. Yeah, because that was their original goal. And They're it's like, like, yes, we finally get a strip, even though the books are going to be better. Yeah, and they, <laughs> it was the first time, though, that they did a longer story of what happened on Krypton before it exploded. You mean Krypton? Krypton, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> as, as Marlon Brando would say, Krypton. 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 So I, it's, it's just interesting to look at it that way, because after Star Wars came out, they had a comic strip. Yep. They had comic books. They had the novels. merchandising yes. for Star Wars was insane. insane, man. So much money. Be- Dude, Lucas was like, man, I'm making so much money off freaking merchandise. It's not even funny. That's crazy. And and I really just asked those questions to try to lay that. I keep saying about laying a foundation because that's what it was because all these things then were just in the public consciousness so much. That growing up, like George Lucas couldn't avoid it, mm-hmm. and because of that, we got Star Wars. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, because of all these contributions of all these other writers and artists and actors. Damn. Yeah. The only time you want to get crabs is Buster Crab. Buster. And I was like, <laughs> I just want to bust, and I want to bust him. <laughs> well, man, the intermission went long, but it actually tied in very well, which is good. I think we got to talk about. What it has influenced, though, now. Oh, okay. Six. Because like, I think we broke down where it came from yeah. pretty well. But it took the world by storm, man. Like, almost like almost like nothing else. Like, what can you think of that really hit the streets this hard, like, as hard as Star Wars did? 
I think because of Star Wars, and and we may have touched upon this previously, not not today, although you did mention mention it, Superman the movie yeah. was severely that was, influenced. That was by like it. right after, right? It was a year and a half later. Yeah, I was like, that was right after. I, so I think that was really the first thing that it influenced, like For how sure. probably how it was marketed, how they did the special effects, mm-hmm. especially, and you know how. Uh, the the impact it ended up having was probably just as important at the time because it filled in a gap left by Star Wars yeah. before Empire. Before Empire, yeah, because yo, because yeah, I mean, I could only imagine because stuff didn't come out as frequently as it does now. Yeah. I can only imagine after May twenty fifth, seventy seven, people were like, "Oh man, what what's next? We're gonna have to wait another two, three, four years to get something good." But you got Superman pretty quick after that. And, I mean, Superman definitely stacks up with Star Wars with a yeah. new hope, at least, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that had to be a major influence. Because, like, what, what else? Like, sci-fi really got going after Star Wars. Yeah. Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Yeah. The, with the, the, Sam, the Jones. Sam Jones yeah, one. Yes. Sam Jones. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, uh, Death to Ming. Yeah, the, the campy version. Yes. <laughs> the the Max von Sydow Ming the Merciless. Yes, fun. Yes. Um, yeah, Flash Gordon. They were like, yo, this war-. It's very, actually, yeah, it is yeah, heavy influence. And then you had, I mean, Spielberg, or Spielberg's got to say, like, man, hey, Star Wars influenced me. I think it. I think it directly influenced, even though obviously the create people who were involved were created Indiana Jones. But I think it directly oh, yeah. Indi- influenced Indiana Jones and this kind of serial style. Yes, yes. Of we can make this dope adventure movie. Just change the setting and you know make him a whip cracker instead of a yeah. saber swinger, and we got another serial type movie that can work. And the formula worked three times and and those were the two type of heroes you, you had like sci-fi heroes or like regular guys regular especially in the 40s you're fighting nazis mostly nazis, yeah it's always so nazis. and so Spielberg it makes sense. loves fighting nazis he does <laughs> like, that's probably his second favorite second pastime favorite pastime and, yeah. and, and as making a movies being guy, the first understand, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know i get it did you watch fablemans yet i have not no oh, bro you gotta watch i do have to see it man. yeah it's good it's a it's a Great cast, I great know that. Ca- bro, Michelle Williams, A1. Like, I was so, when I was watching it, I was like, she's going to get an Oscar now for this. And she did. I knew she wouldn't win, but I was like, she'll get the nom. But Paul Dano, man, that dude, he is way better than I think people give him credit for because he always plays a villainy, weird, trippy dude. Yeah. Nice, straight laced father figure in this, clean cut, kills it kills it first thing i think i ever saw him in was little miss sunshine yep, i think he's the older the brother thing. no that was not the first i saw him in a emil hirsch movie called the girl next door oh and okay he's one of his friends in there and he's pretty funny in there and then I okay saw little miss sunshine great cast tony collette man you know that's yeah. my, that, she's a mafia mama mm-hmm. She's in that, that, she's she the main person. That. That's what I was like, bro. It's Tony Collette. Yeah, she probably made it watchable. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It believe it or not, it's a good popcorn. Yeah, it, I'm like, bro. You probably chuckled a couple times. It, it's more like a date movie. It, exactly. So, it's so you're not going to go see it on your own. Movie. No, you're not. It's definitely <laughs> no. a date night film. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like, hey guys, let's go see Mafia Mama. Yeah, no, it's like, yo, no. bros, y'all trying to go see Mafia Mama? Yeah. Like, no, no, no <laughs> not at all. 
but yeah, she she was she's great. But yeah, man, I, the, the influence it's all over. Oh um, yeah, the last Starfighter. That's an eighties film that came I've out. Never watched it. It's uh, you remember the Clerks animated episode where Randall is playing a video game and then he gets like recruited, but they kind of turn it into like Temple of Doom. Yes, uh, I think that's what happens in. The last Starfighter. It's been a long time. Wow. But like, you know, some kid's playing a video game or some guy and he's really good at it and he gets recruited to like fly a spaceship and okay. fight somebody. Luke, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. That's pretty much what Luke did. I mean, it just, I think it just influenced a, a big spark in sci-fi content because, yeah. dude, you had like, think about all the sci-fi movies that came out in the 80s like you weren't getting sci- you had before star wars you had like what 2001 mm-hmm. you and like, the old old ones like day the earth stood still yeah. metropolis like you had stuff like that yeah but um war of the worlds but like you didn't have nothing like on the scale star wars was doing because because right after star wars another big one was alien Oh so yeah, that's right. Alien, and yes. then yeah, because Ridley Scott. Yeah. Oh, and then, then Blade Ridley Runner. Scott, yeah, I was like, he definitely was influenced by Star Wars with Blade Runner. The umbrellas that people carry look like lightsabers. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm like, you definitely can see it in there. And then of course you get the Terminator coming out in the '80s. You had Starman, Cocoon. Oh my like, god, yeah. All these good, even some of the lower budgets. Cocoon, PT, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah. One of my favorite, like low-key underground sci-fi movie so good yeah so good um where wilfred brimley looks 90 but he's 30 yeah (laughs) no makeup he's he looks like he's in his 80s or 90s and he's 30 it's insane yeah so good though i I never watched the second one though it looked like it was bad i don't Um, know if ron howard directed that i don't think he did yeah i had no interest (laughs) look even short circuit Short circuits, awesome. Because it's a it's an android. Well, it's a droid. Androids coming. Yeah, in. Johnny yeah. Five. Yeah, short circuit was good. And RoboCop. Ro- of course, How can I RoboCop, man. Yeah, RoboCop was a huge one. Obviously, uh, what's his name? Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, Alex yeah, Murphy. Man. Alex Murphy, man. Yeah. That first that scene at the Drop beginning. <laughs> Dead or alive, you're coming with me. No, nah, dude. The scene when the freaking weird robot thing shoots that dude on the table and the edge 209 yeah 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 gets me every i'm like well at the time paul verhoeven man he yeah he really i mean that movie really pushed it for violence it did man that's a when i first clarence potaker man he was violent yeah my my uncle showed me that i'm like freaking six years old oh yeah bro wow i'm sitting there like and my grandma's like, what are you showing this boy? And he's like, nothing. And I'm like, nothing. Yeah, just going back in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, I'm going to pop out. Because my grandma's old house, you know, living room was right like right into the kitchen. So okay. we'd be out there watching TV. She'd be cooking. She, she'd love to cook. She'd pop out. What y'all watching? We're like, we don't want her to pop out watching RoboCop. But she ain't care. She was cool. <laughs> But then with with Paul Verhoeven, you have later on like Total Recall. You have Sirens. I was like, is that real cops? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> un, un, unfortunately, the uh, the the street is heavily uh, traveled when yeah, when emergencies. Yeah. yeah, and it's like getting rush hour. Yeah, so yeah, so. He did Total Recall then. Yeah, and that dude, Starship Troopers. Star- Listen, Starship Troopers. 
is the best cult sci-fi film. I love that movie. I've seen that movie a million times. Johnny Rico is the man. Okay. Denise Richards in there looking good. That movie is great. The giant bugs. It's funny as hell. Like the weird propaganda e ads yeah. and stuff all over it. The, the world wasn't ready for Starship Troopers when it came out. I think Starship Troopers was a good five to eight years ahead of its time. It was what ninety seven, maybe seven. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I watched that movie. Casper Van Dien, Neil right? Patrick Harris. Neil yeah, Patrick yeah. Harris. Oh, yes, dude, dude. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in it. Dude, I watched that movie so much as a kid. It's insane. <laughs> I've seen that movie probably 40 times. Wow. So good. I I, I grew up with it, though, you know? But That's clear, one of those ones. It clearly, like, and think, even Battlefield Earth, as terrible mm-hmm. as that oh, movie probably is. The John Travolta Yeah, the John Travolta one. one, right? Like, think about how, because I'm thinking of Starship Troopers and Battlefield Earth, even though they came out later, after Star Wars, the source material was written before. Mm-hmm. So there's even a thing where, like, adapting something older, you have to think in more of like a Star Wars kind of context mm-hmm. because of how it changed our perception of the whole genre. The whole genre. I'm like, what yeah. what it takes to make a good sci-fi movie? Because if you think about it, like, the best sci-fi movie leading up to Star Wars was 2001. Yeah. They're 10 years apart almost. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that. Star Wars, end of the 70s, 2001, 60s. Yeah. So it's like, they're pretty far apart. It's like, it took like eight, nine years to get another good sci-fi adaptation. And 2001 wasn't well received when it came out. Yeah. You know, people were, were like, what the hell is this? I mean, they of course, they thought it was visually <laughs> stunning and yeah. all that. Because I still, to this day, 2001 still looks... I can't believe how well it still holds up. That ship design is amazing. And all the crap with HAL 9000 just mm-hmm. grabs you right in. But I think 2001 was a bit too dark for people where Star Wars showed how fun sci-fi could be. Because I feel like all the sci-fi novels written up to then all had a dark undertone. There, yeah. there wasn't this cool hero with a cool weapon and yeah having fun and we're telling jokes and we got fun things going on and there's you know for a big furry as she calls it the walking carpet princess (laughs) leia calls him you got chewbacca who's a fun furry character and then obviously by the time you get to return of the jedi you have ewoks who look like furbies or whatever yeah so star wars star wars set the blueprint that sci-fi could be marketable and could generate revenue so now you got people like oh i'm gonna adapt this old sci-fi novel that came out however long ago because david lynch probably wouldn't adapted dune if star wars when it came out and had the success that's true and they wouldn't have given it to david yeah they would yeah i'm i'm shocked they gave that to david lynch to direct yeah because i think it was after blue velvet yeah and blue velvet is that's my I love Blue Velvet. One of my favorites. Dennis Hopper. That dude is psycho in that movie. Um, but coming off of like that and like a racer head, oh, and it's yeah. like I'm just like, ah, oh, that's an interesting guy to Did have he do the drunk. elephant man also? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I'm like, he coming off of what he was coming off of. Yeah. It just didn't seem like a fit. But I, I gotta watch it because now it's a super cult classic. 
So now I'm thinking, because I was just thinking about like what was popular sci-fi before Star Wars. So, so I'm thinking Star Wars somehow took like all the Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers stuff and the 2001, kind of like the, the design work of 2001 Mm -hmm. and mashed them together into something perfect. Yep. But before that, you know, you had Star Trek, the 60s Star Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek was out. And you had, uh, on across the ocean, you had Doctor Who. From Huge show, man. Yeah. I, so I, Wow. So, I, mm, Doctor Who. You Did you watch Doctor Who? I, Are you a fan? Believe it or not, when I was a kid, uh, the fourth Doctor, the one with like the... I At the time, I probably would have thought it was an afro because he just had like curly... Even though he's a white guy, you know, he had like he had, the curly he had hair the Bob and the Bob Ross going on. Yeah, yeah, he had the Bob <laughs> Ross and and the long scarf okay. and the trench coat. So okay. so the Tom Baker version is what I remember as a kid. And then when I got older, I got into like let's say the 12th Doctor, which is uh Peter Capaldi. He was pretty good cuz he was older. And then it took me back to the original William Hart- William Hartnell version from 63. Cheesy, terrible. To, to watch now, but they're great because it's a cranky old guy with like young people on weird adventures. That's fun. That's yeah. always fun. And I mean, that's a huge trope, especially going through the eighties and nineties. Yeah. The cranky old guy befriends some little ass kids and they go yes. on some kind of adventure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that Isn't that up? That's yeah. up. Yeah. That's definitely up. And that's absolutely That's what's up. up. Yep. That's what's up. <laughs> you are my master. So so like I, I think about those and then how like after Star Wars, how that influenced like let's say Star Trek the Next Generation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so even though Star Trek was around first, even they were influenced by not only the uh the, the technological advances that Star Wars did, George Lucas did George. Because, because of Star Wars, but also probably like the storytelling and uh where they can go with aliens now. Yeah. And yeah, because Star, Star Trek ha- had a strong built-in fan base yeah. already, but I think even they saw like, bro, we could we could lose some fans if this Star Wars crap <laughs> takes off too much. Yeah, because I mean to to be because you know Trekkies are Trekkies, bro, and warheads are warheads. Like, yeah, like if you <laughs> like you can appreciate the other ones, but it's just like in Clerks too. Like I saw a meme today, and it was um. It was freaking Randall sitting at the table like, uh, what's the YouTube guy's name that uh, changed my mind, dude? Oh, yeah. What the hell is his name? I, I know what you mean, though. Steven, Steven Crowder. Okay. Um, it, it, they, they, you know, Photoshopped him, and, and it's like, there's not there's only one return, and it's not of the king. It's of the Jedi. It yeah. changed my mind. And I laughed so hard because I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm in that club. I'm sorry, I don't love the Lord of the Rings films. They're good. They're okay. And I definitely think they contributed to cinema and Peter Jackson did his thing, especially when they came out. They just ain't my favorites. And I just don't think they can... I don't think the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy, my personal paint, I don't think it stacks up with the OT as far as entertainment value. So, would you think then that... uh... Peter Jackson would have been influenced by what George Lucas was able to oh, do with oh, Star yeah. Wars. Oh, yeah. I mean, coming up with the three-part trilogy, and it yeah. does play very similar. Bro, and, bro. And, the, and the balance of the characters fellowship, in the storylines. Fellowship flows like a new hope. 
Two Towers moves like a snail. It definitely doesn't flow <laughs> like Empire. Two Towers right. is so boring. Um, but Return of the King, I I do think Return of the King is a really good film. That's the best one by far. But Return of the King does have that triumphant Return of the Jedi feel. And I mean, look at the freaking titles. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. Um, and like, don't get me wrong. There's good stuff in every Lord of the Rings movies. Like, I like the Shire and the Fellowship. That stuff was all fun. And you're chilling with Gandalf smoking big old pipes <laughs> and like they're getting high and all this yeah. stuff i'm like bro they're actually getting stoned <laughs> and you know you're you're in all these miniature hobbit houses and they're cool and fun as soon as they get the shire man it's just like eh. two towers you got the 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 walking trees what do they call ants um they're cool that that's a fun little part but then you know frodo gets increasingly annoying and, oh, Frodo was the most infuriating antagonist, I think, or protagonist I've ever seen. I'm like, I can't stand him. Now, Return of the King does pick it up, and I think it does have a real strong third act like Return of the Jedi does. But you can't tell me Peter Jackson didn't take the blueprint of what worked with the OT yeah. and applied it to Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. So, I... I just realized the one film that was probably uh, severely influenced by Star Wars that Ant I'm Man in the Quantums. <laughs> yeah, 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 Quantum Mania, <laughs> definitely Quantum Mania. But but we won't talk about that, and we we probably won't even go into Guardians yet, yeah. because obviously <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy films take place in space, and Star Lord is essentially Guardians. Han Solo. Really feels like, like yeah, a Star Wars it film. does, doesn't it? <laughs> But um, uh, and they even have a Christmas special, and Star yeah, Wars had yes, a Christmas special do. way back yeah. when. Well, we won't talk. No, about not at that. all. <laughs> but Luke Besson, yeah, I'm probably oh, mispronouncing his name. The director, mm -hmm. Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Even huge, though it's huge, huge influence it had to be. Even though it's based on, uh, I think the Inkle. I'm probably mispronouncing that too because I'm not French. But it's a it's another comic book. And that he was really influenced by, but you could tell in the filmmaking, Ian Holm in that movie is Obi Wan Kenobi. Dude, just <laughs> right? look at how yo, look how the speeders drive through the city. <laughs> yes, like the way the aliens are, and all, bro. It was definitely, definitely influenced by Star Wars, and you know, Bruce kind of plays a Obi Wan type of character, taking care of the girl. Oh, he does, yeah. Pass, you know, yeah, and. Mila, um, wasn't Mila Jovovich? Jovovich. Woo! That film, bro. That red hair, you know. Oh, <laughs> you know, she's a redhead. She yeah. killed me in that one, man. I was like, oh man. And you know, it's crazy. Her daughter is about to be in the um the new Peter Pan and Wendy. Yeah, dude, she looks just like her. Really, it's crazy. She looks just like her. It's crazy. I was like, holy hell, that's definitely her daughter. Wow, it's crazy. But yeah, the Fifth Element, and he's a great filmmaker. Young Luke, bro, you know Leon the Professional. Oh yes, one yes. of my all time favorites. So, and, and I think I don't know if he directed the first one, but I know he produced at least all of them. The Transporter series. I think he. He, he may have directed the first direct one. The first one, he might have. But if not, Transport he did at least. Was awesome. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it showed Jason, Jason Statham, Statham could be James could Bond be if he James wanted to. Bond if he wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. And he gave us that. I like. I like what he did with Statham because, like, the transporter gave us kind of the more. 
grittier, like rough around the edges version of a Bond. You know, yes, Jason yes. Statham, like he's a handsome dude, but he's not classically handsome like yeah. Bonds have always been. He's kind of this rugged dude, shaved head. Like I like that, and I. You gotta love Jason Statham. You gotta love what he did with Guy Ritchie, man. Oh yeah, uh, Lock, Stock, and Lock, Two Smoking Barrels, and, and Snatch. Snatch. Oh, Snatch is fucking dude, Brad Pitt and Snatch. He's so good in that yes. movie, bro. Wow, <laughs> the way he talks. Oh my god, Periwinkle <laughs> Blue Boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so good. But but yeah, man, it's I definitely think Fifth Element was influenced. There's, yeah, there's, there's so much to this day. To, I feel like now. People are more influenced by it now than they were even in the 80s and 90s, man. Yeah. And like, they all these really... Marvel movies, man. I'm like, just because you bought the property, don't mean you need to throw yeah. in all the elements from it. They're like, well, we won't get sued. Yeah. We're not going to sue ourselves, <laughs> yeah, are we? Like, let's take ourselves to court. <laughs> Maybe we'll win. Maybe we'll win <laughs> and somehow keep monopolizing the entire world because eventually, you know, Disney's going to own absolutely everything yeah they're gonna own your toilet every time you take a piss you're gonna see a disney logo you see mickey mouse on the toilet seat wow that would leave me flushed <laughs> leave me flushed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man it, it it's i mean hell the influence is so strong it's influence the influence is strong in this one it's strong in this <laughs> one i mean the influence is so strong and the legacy and the lasting impact is so strong that disney went ahead bought a property from a guy that hadn't made a, a anything from it in almost 10 years from the time they bought it and spent a stupid dumb amount of money to buy these properties because they know how beloved it is what it yeah. did for cinema what it did for the times and they know this name alone even if we put some trash out some people are gonna go out and sniff the funk <laughs> like look man everyone was so hyped when the force awakens came it's like it's in the top i think it's top 10 highest grossing films all yeah, time. They made yeah. like two billion dollars bro it was incredible like yo and like and me too like man yeah. i'm like the wars is back you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. like yo who's not hype like especially because i was around when phantom menace came out and i remember the hype on that even though i was only eight years old I remember, man, I had the Darth Maul backpack. I was Darth Maul for <laughs> Halloween. I was hyped up. I love Darth they Maul. They misused that character. Dude. One but, film? Yeah, we won't Come go into on. that, but he was probably Ray Park's best character. Dude, he killed it, bro. Just the the stoic, badass nature. And then, dude, the physicalness, bro. You fought two Master Jedis at the same time and almost won. You pretty much did win. But you know, after that fight, you know what uh, his favorite creamer was? Half and half. Half and half. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yes, it was half and half, guys. <laughs> but man, he came out hard. The dual lightsabers, yeah. bro. That was. I don't care what nobody says, bro. The the prequels have a lot of good cool stuff in them man they look incredible and they the prequels alone were highly influential throughout the 2000s like the prequels set the standards of what visual effects were to come yeah. for all the dope superhero films we're seeing yeah, now that's true dude without 
the prequels without Jar Jar Binks, dude. Jar Jar Binks <laughs> wasn't he like the he was first completely fully, CGI? Yeah, like, yes. he's like one of the first completely CGI creations. And yeah. like, whether you hate or love his character, because we know he's a very divisive character. Yeah. Whether you hate or love him or not, you got to respect the technology the behind tech. it, dude. Yeah. Ninety nine, which it came out in ninety nine, so it was done in ninety seven or eight. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, bro, George was always ahead of the game with tech, bro. I'm like, he made. That's why I say without him, James Cameron, because if you didn't have yes. Jar Jar Binks, as dumb as it sounds, you wouldn't have gotten the blue to the people point. people in Avatar. Yes, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely. Yes, Jar Jar Binks, hate him or love him, is highly influential to the advancement of cinema. The Phantom Menace was... People didn't love... Now people definitely like it a lot more, but people weren't crazy about it. And I'm like, dude, he's not going to recreate A New Hope, you know? Yeah, that was what The Force Awakens was for. Yes. And <laughs> and I and I love all the risks Lucas took in the films. Attack of the Clones is a tough watch. Um, I do think the third act picks up nicely, but... Yeah, it's not a bad it's film. It's not though. a bad film, but it's... When you stack them up against the other ones, it's like, eh. but looking back on it, I'd definitely watch it over Rise of Skywalker any day. It's it's building up the history of Boba Fett, though. Yes. So it's yes, trying very to, well. Yeah. And and if you're a Boba Fett fan, I definitely think you need to watch the Attack of the Clones. Just like if you're a Darth Vader fan, you definitely got to watch Revenge of the Sith. Now, Revenge of the Sith is one of the best films ever made. I don't care what nobody says. You can... You can talk about the dialogue, the acting, whatever. The story, the visuals, it's fun as hell. It gets you right in it, bro. Anakin's arc. Yo, Anakin's arc is awesome. Bro, when you see him and Obi-Wan fight, that is nuts. Yeah, it's choreographed as hell, but it's awesome still. I don't care. And uh, is that one? I can't remember which one... uh, Count Dooku and Yoda. Is that that's Attack of the Attack Clones? Attack of the Clones, yeah. Because when, yep. when Yoda Yoda spinning around. Yeah. And I'm actually people hate it on that. Really? I was a fan. Bro, I'm like 10, 11? I think I was eleven. Bro, I'm in No, I was ten. I'm in there. Yeah, yeah, I was ten. I was I'm in the theater like this is so fire. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because I'm like, this is so dope. It's before that you just saw Yoda as like this old, this old decrepit. Guy. Yeah, he, he should have been parking around. in the Darth Vader space. He should have. <laughs> yeah, because, bro, when you see him in Empire, like, first of all, Frank Oz's puppeteering was A1. Oh, yeah. But when you see him, like you said, he's down and out, living in a swamp, yeah. eating trash. I don't know <laughs> what this man was eating. Like, yeah. when Luke takes a bite of that food he made, bro, his face is priceless. <laughs> he's like... I'm like, yo, that's gotta be bad. Yeah. He's got a cane. You know, he you could clearly tell this dude ain't fought nobody in probably 40, 50 years at least. Yeah. But he is still strong with the force. The dude does pull Luke's X-Wing out of the swamp. He does. Just and Luke's just mind blown. And but you know, I like that they put that in there because you they talk Yoda up as this. This mythical, just ultimate Jedi who's insane with the Force and just couldn't be stopped. But we got to see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I thought that was cool. Just like, um, you know, a lot of people hated the Obi-Wan show, which I thought it was actually pretty fun. Of course, there was some stupid stuff in it. But Vader in it. 
If you're a Vader fan, you have to watch it. I, I haven't seen it yet. I do have to watch it. Yeah, if you like Vader, you got to watch it. Just like, we won't even use that as an example. Let's use Rogue One. Okay. Rogue One, when we saw that, now that's all before A New Hope. But when they you see Vader come on that ship and walk through that hallway and you see that red saber come out and he cuts all them dudes down forces a dude on in the ceiling cuts him in half that's the vader we all knew he could be yeah yeah and so whether you hate the later adaptations of stuff you do get to see what we know these people to be like we know vader's a strong ass freak ass dude but you don't really see him go crazy on anyone in the movie he has his little goons do that yeah yeah but in rogue one you get to see Yo, that's the Darth Vader I had in my head. So so what's Vader like in the Obi-Wan show? A complete asshole, strong as fuck, freak dude, bro. Really? He's insane. Bro, he forced a ship out of the sky. Insane as it's taking off. It's Hayden bro. Christensen, right? Yes, it's Hayden Christensen. Coming back. Man, he's coming back and he comes back hard, bro. Wow. He gets some he gets some nice little time in it, bro. And Dude, you get to, and it's cool. You get to see some more interactions with Vader and Obi Wan. Now it throws off the plot of A New Hope because they set it up like they haven't seen each other in a very long time. But if you watch the Obi Wan show, it's like y'all saw each other. Not now. Wait, does he consider it to be uh, Anakin, or does he consider it to be Darth Vader? Though, because that could be the difference in. I haven't seen him in a long time. That's exactly the way they go with oh, it. Okay. That's exactly the way they go with it. And essentially, like, you know, in um, Return of the Jedi, when, he, you know, Luke is pissed because he's like, man, why didn't you tell me, bro? You knew he was my dad. And he's like, listen, your dad died yeah. when he became Vader. You know what I mean? Darth Vader ain't your dad. Anakin Skywalker's your dad. Yeah. So, yes, that is where they go. But it did make a lot of people mad because just their the way they interact, it will seem like a little like, mm, come on, bro. If y'all actually did this, y'all would have treated each other differently when you saw each other in A New Hope. Yeah. And it would have felt like, you know, Obi-Wan did know a good amount about Vader in a new hope and what they were up to. But when you see the uh, Obi-Wan show, you're going to be like, bro, he could have been stopped this if it went this way. So is that the problem then with like doing prequels? Like I, it, I, I definitely think that is, and that's just with anything. Yeah. Yeah. Not just star Wars. Yeah. yeah anything, anything, a prequel can, can really throw something off a great prequel to me it would be like x-men first class oh yes, or, yeah um, or of course batman begins which i wouldn't even call that a prequel i would just call it an origin story yeah but there's some good prequels out there and i do think i think the prequel trilogy is a great is a great set of prequels yeah and i do think it flows into rogue one nicely and then flowing into a new hope nicely. Now, when you get the shows and all the other crap, that's when stuff starts getting a little muddy. But I do think George wrote some nice prequel stories that lined up with the OT pretty well. Yeah. 
Yeah, the influence is strong with this, with this <laughs> one for real. It's just it's nuts how how deep it goes, man. But um, before we wrap this, because we're getting long, yeah, we are let, today. Well, we had a lot to talk. We had about. a lot to talk about, and you know, and, and we just came up with this favorite. last night. Yeah, that's what's you know, crazy. Yeah, I prepped all week for something different. For something different. Yeah, me too, bro. I'm watching. I'm rewatching two films. Yeah, you know, and I'm like. We're going to scrap that. I had notes on them, everything. Yeah, We're so going to scrap I. that and <laughs> go with something else. I had to change my questions, everything. Yeah. I was like, oh, we got to do it, though. It's, it's Star Wars, one of my, bro, Empire Strikes Back is a life-changing film for me. Yeah. So, um, before we head out, though, what, what are you thinking about the future of Star Wars? And what do you think they should do? Do you think they should continue down a show route and keep just... Doing little arcs because, and I'm ashamed to say this as a Star Wars fan, I have not watched Andor. Okay. okay. I've watched all the other shows and films. I've not watched Andor. And apparently Andor is good. So yeah, I, I will watch that. But what do you think? You think they should, you think they should maybe dive into possibly continuing the story? Or you think they should cut it off and focus strictly on small scale things? Well, I think... What I've noticed, at least with like the Marvel shows, let's say, because I haven't watched, I know it's going to be blasphemous, I haven't watched The Mandalorian, I haven't watched The Book of Bubba Fett, I haven't watched Obi-Wan or Andor, but I've watched some of the Marvel shows and I've noticed I do enjoy when they can tell a longer story Mm -hmm. and you can get more into the characters. So if like the newer films... I enjoyed them, but I didn't enjoy them as much as even the prequels. And the prequels mm-hmm. are kind of trash if you love the originals. Yes. So I think that they probably should do more shows, but be more discerning. Because like I think you and I and my daughter Cora are the only three people who loved Solo. Yeah, yes. We're we're literally <laughs> some of the only people on the planet that likes Solo. A yeah. good friend of mine likes Solo, too. My boy likes Solo. Um, but look, if they would do um, Donald Glover as Lando, oh, if they, he was so perfect. And even the guy who did Young Han was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, just do more stories because we know what happens to them later. But getting to know what happened in between is more interesting when you have interesting people playing them. Yes. And I like that you brought up Glover and um, I think his name's, it's Aldrich. I can't remember his first name. Oh, Aaron Height. Aaron Height. Aldrich Aaron Height. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, I know it was Aldrich's in there. Yeah. Um, He was great and and so was, obviously, Glover was amazing. And I think they have really good chemistry. I'm like, I would love if they did, if they were like, yo, we're just going to do a six-part Han and Lando story. Oh, that would be incredible. That would be awesome with them too and Chewie. Yeah. Because we know they get into more. Look, they have a history that's even richer than I think Solo shows. Yeah. At, at least obviously in the, the minds we make up in our, the, the, the stuff we make up in our minds as fans. Yeah. But like in my eyes, Han and Lando, they, they've gotten into some stuff. And I think they, at some point they had a little bit of a falling out. And I do think that when they meet in Empire, that's why it's like, man, I, I haven't seen you in a little bit. And Han and Chewie are already like 
bro, I, or Chewie's like, bro, hey, is he still mad at you for that? And he's like, bro, that was a long time ago. I don't know. So there's this element of mystery when you meet him. Like, bro, is he going to be cool? Is he not? Like, yeah. give us something leading up to that that meeting. And six episodes, 40 minutes each. I'm not asking for a lot. Yeah. But you guys are charging us a lot for Disney Plus every month. <laughs> we paying our bill every month. Yeah. Y'all getting tons of money out of us. Give us something. I would love, bro. It'll like, be a great space western. Yes. It, it would be so western-like. Yeah. Because you ain't going to have no sabers or nothing like that. No. But Han Solo proved you don't need lightsabers and lightsaber battles to make a good Star Wars film or a good Star Wars adaptation. So you you take Bryce Dallas Howard, Ron Ron Howard's daughter. You take both of them, let them direct it. Yeah, because he did a great job with Solo. She does, he did a great job with Solo, and she does a good job with The Mandalorian. Uh. So I'm like, bro, her behind the camera, she's, I mean, she is stunning in front of it. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, when I watch Rocket Man, bro, oh, every yes. time she came on screen, I like lost my train of thought, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but she is so good as a director. I'm like, bro, all the best episodes of everything everything she's been a part of she probably directed them so let them do it they already got a hold of you know a grip on what the story is and where to go give ron howard like 10 million he'll do it yeah you know what i mean or the one i really would like i just want i would love um just a small either a film or a, a, like maybe five or six episodes i just want a, a, a vader story just yeah. about vader and it can be from what he did from between return of the or um empire strikes back and return of the jedi because there's a good amount of time where we don't know what he was really up to that's true and what is the, i i think i asked it earlier but what is the, gap the timeline between? yeah so because I'm, we I'm we know luke changed on it i'm not a hundred percent on it i believe the timeline from from a new hope to empire, I believe it's only maybe a year, okay. if that. But I think the timeline from Jedi or from Empire to Jedi, I feel like it's a couple years, yeah, it maybe feels like, like two it. or three. Okay, and I'm like, that's a good amount of time where Vader was just waiting for Luke to reemerge. Yeah, and so he would have been like stewing and planning. Yes, and I was, and you, and you know, and and in the comics and the novels, they say Vader. He kept to himself a lot and stayed in Vader's castle and and worked on ships and built stuff and stuff like that. But you know he was out. I would just love to see him out doing Vader everyday stuff, not being puppeteered by Palpatine. Yeah. Not, you know, chasing down his son. I want to see what he was like as a guy who because he's such a complex character because he's went through so much, dude. He was a slave with his mom. All right. Mom got both. You don't even know where your dad's at. Mom got yeah. murdered. All right. You're a kid. You pretty much get adopted by these Jedis. They pretty much turn their back on you. You knock up this girl. You have kids. You don't even get to raise them. But you know they're alive. 
but you don't even get to raise them. Your your love died in childbirth, bro. You got both your legs and one of your arms cut off. You got put in a robot suit and was pretty much put under my control by the biggest asshole in the galaxy. So that'll affect you as a guy. <laughs> when you put it that way, <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes. I'm like, I don't think people really break down Darth Vader's arc and realize how layered of a character he actually is. Yeah. You know what would be a great thing to add in if Anakin as Darth Vader actually finds out who his father was. That'd be cool. Because yeah. after Luke found out, wouldn't that be the natural uh, completion of of that uh, circle, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Just so... Because I always thought it was probably Qui-Gon. Well, I, it, I mean, just... It, it, it it would seem to make sense yeah. just by the way he treats him. Yes. And treats yes. him off the rip. And he's force sensitive. Where'd that come from? Yeah. So, because I'm pretty sure his mom wasn't. She, at least yeah. he didn't say anything or nothing. I'm like, so where he got it from somewhere, bro. Yes. And just pop out of thin air. So, so, even if it's not that, I think it would be interesting if, like, because he did change at the end of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And so, if, like, him finding out more about... His past would have made him more empathetic to Luke's plight. To Luke, yeah. Because yeah. then by the time him and Luke meet again, because, yes, he's still like, Luke, your destiny lies with with Palpatine. But think about this. he In Empire Strikes Back, he's already like, bro, we can take this shit over father and son. We'll kill that motherfucker <laughs> and do our own thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he says that. He's like, yeah. and he's like, bro, the Emperor has foreseen this. So yeah. this is the natural, how it should go. So I'm like, that would have been nice for him to find that out in between there because he obviously does care about Luke and it, uh, we see he freaking risks his own life for him. So yeah, yeah. I, y- y- dude, you could go, you could do so much with Vader's arc. There's a reason he's one of the most iconic villains ever. Yeah. And villains usually are more interesting than the heroes. Yeah, always. Yeah, I'm I'm much more of a villain guy, you know. And I, you know, I made my heroes villains videos. I even say that I'm like, listen, my heroes list. I was like, bro, I know this is a weird list. I'm not really a hero guy. I'm a villain dude. You know what I mean? I kept it yeah. real. You know, I'm like I'm a villain guy. So doing the villains list, I had a list long as a scroll. Heroes. I'm like, ah, who's a good hero? I'm like, hmm. And then I'm like, I felt like I have weird people. Like I. Have Peter O'Toole from Lawrence of Arabia in there, like well, he, well, he was actually a real hero. He, he was, was a real a guy, real hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, not Peter O'Toole, but not Peter O'Toole, but, but, but Lawrence. T. Lawrence, T. Yeah. Lawrence, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, I had like Katniss Everdeen in there. Uh, well, I guess. I mean, bro, some she, people are forced into it, though. You know, like yeah, she but was, she, right? But she volunteered. Oh. she volunteered. Remember to save her own sister. That's a I, hero. It's been so long, dude. Since, let me break, ten years. Let me, let me give you the. 30 second breakdown of Katniss Everdeen. Okay. First, she volunteers herself to the games to save her little sister, Noble. Goes in the games, goes hard as hell, keeps Peter's punk ass alive, and tries to keep other people alive, and rigs the game essentially. So she does keep these people alive. Badass. Then becomes the leader and face of the revolution and pretty much liberates the people. So. She's hard, man. If, yeah. if you break down what she's done, and bro, Jennifer Lawrence, come on, man. <laughs> See, I I watched. Uh, I think the first. There's four Hunger Games films, mm-hmm. right? I think I've seen the first three. Oh, because, you gotta watch the last one, bro. Because of kids, you know, yeah, they, they were they were into the books, and yeah. then bro, you gotta watch the last one. But I was watching it, 
And I remember thinking, wasn't this The Running Man? Like the Schwarzenegger movie that was a Stephen King book first? I never saw that. Really? Yeah, or read it. It's a game show where people compete to not die. Bro, that's a Stephen King book? Yeah. It's probably good, huh? He, he wrote it as Richard Bachman. The book is better than the film. Probably. So it's part of the Bachman books. It's like, you know, when I guess he was publishing publishing too much under his own name. So they were like, whoa, calm down, buddy. Be someone else. Yeah, you're a little too <laughs> prolific right now. So, and the movie isn't bad. I mean, it's a late 80s Schwarzenegger film. Okay. You know. I mean, I yeah. love Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know? I'm an American spy. Yep, he is. <laughs> now that I'm gonna watch True Lies, we will definitely have a True Lies. We'll have a Schwarzenegger episode. Yes, we should down the line. Yeah, and it better I'm not like, be a raw deal, which is another <laughs> '80s Schwarzenegger yes. film. Yes, it'll it won't be junior size. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it'll it'll be it'll be big, yeah. large scale. You know, we'll terminate it. But uh, Arnold's Arnold's the man, bro. Arnold. Man. And he but, does have that new show coming out. Food crazy, Mart. still getting in the game, bro. He's yeah. rich as hell. Like, if I'm Arnold, bro, my feet be kicked up. <laughs> a cigar, he Just loves his cigars. I'd be God. Yeah. With my money, I wouldn't. <laughs> dude, wouldn't you try to get was, to the chopper? Yes, I would try and get to the chopper. Dude, dude fought the predator. He was a Terminator. Governor of Cali, bro. He 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 was Turbo Man. Like dude, he was the last action hero. He was an underrated last, film. Dude, I love that film because yeah. I love how self-aware he is. Yes. That him that's doing why Hamlet I always liked him. It's yes. actually one of the best scenes he's probably ever done. It, it really is. <laughs> dude, the last action hero is hella underrated. Yeah. Bro. And that's one of the John films. McTiernan. Yeah, bro. I forgot he did that yeah. first. Huh? Yeah. That was that was before Die Hard, right? It was after Die Hard. It was it. Yeah. What year is that? 90. Two? Three, I think. Three? Okay. Yeah. Damn. Kick-ass soundtrack, too. Yo, that's... Mm. Hey, he had, he had a little run, too, huh? Yeah, yeah. Who yeah, did cause... Die Hard 2? Did he do Die Hard 2? No, no. Um, I think Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard 2. Okay. That's the one with Sam Jackson, right? No, that's Die Hard 3. That's 3. I okay. think he did Die Hard and Die Hard 3. Okay. I think Rennie Harlan did Die Hard 2. But McTiernan also directed Predator. He... Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, Predator One is so great. Bro. Yeah, so you know, a couple years there, he did some really. He, was, he had his run, man. Yeah, he, he did. All right, guys, we're gonna need to read. This went long. It did go very long, but you know, it's there. The content's there for you guys. So, guys, appreciate you tuning in. If you made it to the end, we will be back with Yojimbo. And fistful of dollars, we're gonna break those guys down. Of course, get off topic like we always do, <laughs> naturally. But you guys, be tuned. Make sure you're tuning in for the cutting room floor. I'm Dom. I'm Jamie. 